I'm a guy, for all intents and purposes, never should have even made it to the WWE. I've had roadblock after roadblock after roadblock thrown in my way. But not only did I get past those roadblocks, I did it while flipping off the people who put up those roadblocks. I feel I have a responsibility to the younger wrestlers on the roster, the ones who aren't signed yet, and the future of pro wrestling as a whole to help make this place better and to change this place. I certainly can't change it by sitting on my couch in Chicago. My name is James Rowlands. In 2015, I teamed up with my friend Dan White to create the Dubbing Our podcast. Since then, we have been giving you everything that's happened on the WWE Network. Now, in 2018, not only are we live for the Big Four events and every NXT TakeOver, but we celebrate 20 years since the birth of the Attitude Era. Plus, every month we bring you 205 Live, collections, new content, W pay-per-views and latest news on the WWE Network. Until we've watched everything, we are with you and we are the WNR. Yes, hello, I am James Rowlands, and as always, I'm joined by... Dan White. And today, it's the WNR 161. It's the best in the world, RCM Punk Superstar Profile. But before we start anything, let's start off with the alternate intro. I wonder if anybody can guess what the alternate intro is going to be. Well, look in my eyes. What do you see? The cult of personality. I know your anger. I know your dreams. I've been everything you want to be. I'm the cult of personality. Like Mussolini and Kennedy, I'm the cult of personality. I don't want to sing it because I don't want to ruin it for everybody who loves the song. Of course, that was done by Living Colour. And that's cult of personality. That's CM Punk's chosen theme tune. Even though we did have a couple. And we're going to look at the entire CM Punk career here on this podcast. It may be two. We don't know yet. We're gonna, we've got a list of... We've got some extra matches. But what we're going to do here, we're going to speak from the heart. We've got nothing really written down about CM Punk's life and stuff. We're going to take it from a couple of things. First off, we are... This is a fantastic companion piece to Best in the World, the CM Punk DVD, which if you go on the originals on WWE Network and go Beyond the Ring, Punk's documentary is on there. I suggest you watch that whilst you listen to us as well and you can enjoy the matches. Now, every match that we're going to talk about will be on the WWE Network, apart from the first time ever what we're going to do now. Because like I said, I've been a CM Punk fan for a very long time. First off, Dan, what are your thoughts on CM Punk before I just take over all the talking on this one? Yeah, he's. I think he's his own character. He's, you know, he brings a, a definite uniqueness into the wrestling business. I've enjoyed watching him. He's he's great at what he does. Hence why his moniker is BRTW. Yeah, yeah. And for me, he he really is someone that I've been a huge fan of, dating back to um, when he first WWE debut. We'll get onto that, but even before then, because like I said, when I got into wrestling, I got into wrestling hard, and I used to read. Uh, Power Slam and the magazines like this to find out about independent wrestlers and CM Punk was one of those that definitely stood out among the pack. He was someone I could get behind as a character. 
and I was lucky enough. You found a receipt there I for it. I found the receipt. You bought this DVD on the 20th of December, 2008, at half past four. <laughs> and it cost you, bloody hell, that was expensive, 88 pence. £3.88 pence for the best of CM Punk, one of uh, my favourite DVDs in my own DVD collection. And basically, this is kind of an unofficial thing, and it's all these matches that have been put together on this disc. Now, we talk about uh, CM Punk to begin with, and uh, like I say, the best in the world kind of sums this up better than we can because it's a sit-down interview with Punk. And basically, he, he talks about it. We see Punk at the start talking about the kind of family problems that he had. And Dad had as well, wasn't it, Dan? You know? Yes, his dad was uh, was an alcoholic. And that's kind of been brought into some storylines in WWE as well. Yeah, as then Punk said at that point in time, you know, if he sees someone going being that bad on it, then what's the point, you know? So he decided to go kind of straight edge and uh, in that kind of direction. Uh, he also said he found Roddy Piper, he saw Roddy Piper, maybe that was his first wrestling kind of memory that he had and seeing the guy with the attitude who was the outcast, much like Punk, and he kind of accepted that straight edge society into his life. And uh, as a kid, he started his own wrestling company after being kind of trained by Ace Steel, where they were kind of beat the local promotions that were going around. And then it gets to a point where it was going really well, and unfortunately, Punk's brother stole money for him and the uh, the company, so it couldn't go forward. And he still got, um, I would say, resentment towards his brother there over what the past is. You can see he struggles with family. He says his blood family's never really been there, and it's kind of friends and uh, and other people that have. And he went to wrestling school and he, he met Colt Cabana after two months and they didn't like each other to begin with, but of course they began what would be a friendship, well, up until recently as well. But this best of CM Punk one is kind of his independence before he came really massive. And what we're going to do, we just list first off the kind of matches that are on there and the people that you might be surprised that he actually is facing, you know. CM Punk versus Vordale Walker. Now, people might not have heard of that. that was back in 2004. You've got AJ Styles versus Homicide. Yeah, and of course, Homicide was a, a, a big deal back in the independence as well. CM Punk versus Just Incredible. Of course, that was for the VIP heavyweight title. Yep, CM Punk versus Rain Man again back in 2004. CM Punk versus Dan Math as well. And CM Punk versus James Gibson. And James Gibson is, of course... Um, Jamie Noble, who would have a run as Cruiserweight Champion. And then you've got some bonus matches as well, which I think is even better than the, the main kind of matches we have. Most definitely, yeah. You've got CM Punk versus Roderick Strong. Yeah, and Roderick Strong calls part of the NXT roster now. And CM Punk versus Brian Danielson. Who's, who's that? I've never heard of yeah, him. Yeah, that's Daniel Bryan. That's Daniel Bryan. Oh, I see what they've done there. And, uh, of course, I look back at CM Punk in IWA Mid-South. And IWA Mid-South was kind of... Uh, his real breakout in wrestling, he kind of got the CM Punk character. We can see him. Look how young Punk is there. Look how ex- unexperienced. 2001. Yeah, 2001, Punk was around. So, uh, throws that question. Do you think if ECW or WCW were around, maybe they could have had people like CM Punk and Samoa Joe and Daniel Bryan, that kind of next generation? I think they could have survived, you know? Saying a girl's so fucking ugly she wears a hockey mask in public. This is 2001. Just look how confident he already is in his ability. Do you know what I mean? He's a very happy young man, like Punk was, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he's an insane clown posse. That's Kennedy next to him there. Kennedy! Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's against Chris Hero, as we talked about, or Cassius Ono. This is a Pepsi plunge finisher you used to use. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, you can see why they didn't really allow it in WWE, can't you? A pedigree off the second rope. You can see it's in a church hall as well with a crucifix there. <laughs> 
Even the ropes are look all saggy and shit. Oh, no, look how bad the ring is. There's Colt Cabana there. He's got the microphone. This is brilliant. So Punk's got the no mic in hand. Offers it to the woman. She talks into it. He goes, I'm not owning the microphone, you stupid bitch. You're all fucking idiots. <laughs> now Punk beating up Colt and Chris Hero. How empty them arenas are no. as well. Nice cork over the top by Hero. It is. It's like what we see in sitting ball and like local wrestling. Yeah. This is what they got now. Who would have thought these three would have had the careers that they had? Even though might not be the top success, you know. Another match with uh, Chris Hero and CM Punk. Now, this is a match that is quite famous because it's uh, TLC. But it's when Punk and Hero kind of really arrived in wrestling. It was like, oh, these guys can actually wrestle now. You know, it's like... When was this? 2001, 2002? 2002, yeah. You see, look, if they had this style of wrestling in 2002, whatever promotion these guys would have gone to... It would have just elevated them. Yeah, I know. It's mental, isn't it? <clears throat> just back Hurricane Ronda, Chris Hero, out the ring, through a table. Tombstone pile driver <laughs> on a woman through a table, <laughs> off the side of the ring apron. Super Liger bomb backwards through a table, off the top rope. They're about 10 foot in the air, side rushing leg sweep through two or three tables. Yep. Oh! <laughs> Pepsi plunge on the ladder. That's still not enough. Now, I think the thing is as well, look, he's been since 2000, been there a year. And already, you can tell he's kind of like leader of the locker room. He, yeah. he knows what he's saying. We've got Eddie Guerrero, who's just been released from WWE. And, of course, Rey Mysterio signed to WWE yet without a mask on. Yeah. Triple threat match. Which you think the feud Mysterio and Punk would have in the years by. Chemistry like that they've got there. You know, we've seen Rey Mysterio. We've seen... Eddie Guerrero watching back through the years and that, but you know, CM Punk just fits in. The no, it's crazy, isn't it? <clears throat> the next generation, you know, this is why it's, it's not just talk when it comes to Punk. He proved it, you know, in certain stages, and now against, like, say, talent of Mysterio and Eddie, he fits in with his bleached blonde hair. Hurricane Ronner, Eddie throws him out, goes up for the fog splash. So that was the CM Punk DVD. What are your thoughts looking back at CM Punk's early life, Dan? It looks good. You know, he, you could tell he was a, a ready-made superstar. I mean, you know, why did it take, was it six years, seven years for WWE to actually sign this guy? Exactly. Why indeed? They kind of were a blood and guts promotion. They hit each other with frying pans and light tubes and thumbtacks and like all that stuff. And myself and Cabana and Suicide Kid and I met Chris Hero. We were the wrestlers. Punk is a technician in there. A lot of people hear that name, CM Punk, and they have a hard time imagining a scientifically gifted wrestler. But the reality is, that's just what CM Punk is. Punk sort of wrestled circles around him right there, folks. Let's face it. We were doing all the the emulating of Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko we could. Not the kind of promo we just saw on the DVD, is it? Nah. <laughs> this is a straight-edge promo. <laughs> so they've got his ex-girlfriend there talking about him. She looks uh, fucking ugly. Lita's an ex-girlfriend as well. Is she? Yeah. She came up with a whole straight-edge um, gimmick for Punk to actually use as the heel in wrestling. Well, we see 
Punk and Chris Hero talking about that match that we've just saw on the DVD, February 9th, 2002. I enjoyed wrestling Chris Hero. Chris Hero liked wrestling me, and it was just one of those things. We had a chemistry. This quite possibly could be the most significant feud in IWA history. We didn't really have to communicate verbally at all. It was just, I knew what he did, he knew what I did, and it just it just worked. Last night in the barn, and Hero and I were doing a tables, ladders, and chairs match. They know each other like the back of their hands. And my idea was, I literally wanted to bring the whole barn down. The bear, he just speared him through the wall! I know this is our last night in the building, guys, but I didn't know we were going to tear the thing down. I came up with the dueling rafters because I was literally trying to rip the barn down because I thought, what a way to go out. It was nuts. The people were so into it. The stuff that they did in that match was magic for that crowd that was there. Just as it was going on, uh, you know, we were kind of hitting, hitting everything. Right on the money. I mean, they clicked. They are personifying what wrestling is all about right here, what the heart, what kind of heart it takes. They are tearing each other to shreds over that title. At the time, it was the first time I experienced what I call magic. In the ring, I knew that what we were doing was good based on the fact that I could feel how captivated everybody who was watching was. There was this tangible energy in the air. It's magic. I had magic with Chris Hero that night, definitely. Everything aligned properly that night for us, and because of that match, that tape had gotten uh, sent out everywhere, and people bought the tape, etc. That kind of launched us as far as, oh, CM Punk and Chris Hero, who are these guys? And it was very instrumental in us getting opportunities. And then it was like, Punk and Hero in Pittsburgh, uh, Punk and Hero in Detroit, uh, Punk and Hero in Philadelphia, whatever. So... We kind of like did the loop, and every match would be just a little bit longer, you know, 40 minutes, uh, 50 minutes. We had an hour draw, and then, I, you know, we just I just thought, like, you know what, how about as an extra attraction to the match, let's have a match two out of three falls with a 90-minute time limit. Over an hour and a half of some of the most brutal, hard-hitting wrestling, high-flying, and technical wrestling you've ever seen. This is the first time I remember hearing on the independence these guys doing hour-long matches and stuff. I was like, whoa. I became uh, obsessed with old-school pro wrestling. And the champion would uh, travel around all different territories, and he would wrestle 60 minutes. That was a big thing for Punk. He wanted to be the Iron Man. That was one of his unnamed nicknames, was the Iron Man of professional wrestling. I thought I was good, you know? I really thought I was good. And then I got in the ring with Eddie Guerrero. And I was like, holy crap, am I bad? I mean, that was a big step up in competition, and that was a big test. But it gave me that attainable goal. You're talking about confidence level, setting new heights, climbing the ladder. Eddie helped him get to that. Throughout the Midwest, he was building up a good reputation as an incredibly hard worker, excellent on the microphone, fearless, and unapologetically confident. I didn't like him, but I respected him. He was smug and arrogant. He wasn't always the best in the world, but he always believed he was. CM Punk toting all the gold. He's IWA Mid-South Heavyweight Champion, Light Heavyweight Champion. And then all of a sudden, buzz starts going around. And start, people start hearing about this. Tape trading became really popular. People knew who CM Punk was. 
through reading the internet, through reading uh, dirt sheets, through reading PWI, the wrestling magazine. CM Punk, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, is only in his second year. Second year, but he's still one of the best damn wrestlers in this promotion, if not the country today. Only 23 years old is CM Punk. I mean, when I was in high school, you know, I started to dig into independent wrestling because I knew what I wanted to do was to be a pro wrestler and what, I, what it was going to take to be a pro wrestler. So I started looking at independence and who was doing well there and like how that all works and he was the king. A lot of times the indies guys don't get much promo time or mic time and his always stood out and I just became a huge fan of his, like obsessed. I'm like a fan of indie wrestling. I, I've watched all kinds of wrestling, Japanese wrestling, lucha, American wrestling and and uh, he was making waves. Each and every single one of you, including everybody standing on the sacred or in this ring, or anybody who ever crossed that threshold of that door and gave their blood, their sweat, their tears, put their life on the line, we put each other's life in our hands each and every single time we're in this ring. And whether you like me or you hate me or you love me, we do it for each That's all you need sometimes is that belief that you are the best in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't know why people have a go at him for wanting to be the best. There is nothing wrong with wanting to be a champion and wanting to be number one, you know. The problem is the people that want to just do nothing and, you know, be carried by other people. That's when you say, wait a minute, that's your problem. Yeah. And, you know, that's it's the same in football. You yeah. Know, people want to be the best in the world. But not everyone can be Harry Kane. No, not everybody can. But don't have a go at Harry Kane because he is—he wants to be the best. Or if he is the best. Yeah, so then Punk went to Ring of Honor. I ended up in Ring of Honor. The booker at the time, Gabe Sapolsky, called me and Colt Cabana. And wanted uh, the CM Punk-Colt Cabana match that everyone else had probably already seen a dozen times. Because we'd been wrestling each other every day for probably two years. That was in 2002. We were traveling all over the world. We're wrestling the independence. That was the, the big buzz. And then this new company came up, Ring of Honor. And it was based off of all the stars of the independent scene in one building for one promotion. We were making a little bit of buzz on a bigger stage. Not a huge stage, but a bigger stage than the barn we were doing in Kentucky. I learned a lot here. I figured if this was the level I would, you know, highest level I would get to, I try to learn as much as I can. So I was trying to learn behind the scenes stuff and I was really paying attention to small details and stuff that nobody else really was at the time. He fit in great, but Punk was interesting because Punk, although he's a very good wrestler, what he brought to Ring of Honor was actually more of not sports entertainment, but hard hitting interviews. Punk was wrestling guys like Raven, because all these older guys who were good at interviews and stuff, they wanted to work with him. His interviews were so fresh and so exciting. And since day one in Ring of Honor, where fighting spirit is supposed to be revered, things aren't supposed to be this way. 
I'd shake your hand like a normal man. But see, the truth is I don't respect you. I hate you. I hate you for everything you've pissed away. Everything I scrimp and I clock for that I haven't even earned yet. That you got handed to you and you flushed out a toilet. For what? For pills? For booze? For alcohol? For women? I had a huge rivalry with Raven, and I actually, I, I credit Raven to being the first guy to actually sit me down and teach me a couple things, you know? It wasn't just go out there and do whatever you want to do, you know? He explained why we did or didn't do certain things. We, me and him had a pretty good rivalry. I mean, I, I remember a lot of cage matches and dog collar matches and some brutal, brutal, violent, hardcore stuff. I don't think I've ever seen a feud boil to this level as we see the feud of Raven and CM Punk. Ring of Honor was built on pure wrestling, and those were the first two to kind of break out into storytelling mode, and they told great stories. This is definitely one of the top feuds in Ring of Honor history, if not the top feud. They did, I think, great business for Ring of Honor. By 2004, all of a sudden, Punk is a major player. And he had these series of matches with Samoa Joe where they did one-hour match. and then We just had a chemistry. It's a chemistry I have with very few guys. You know, Cabana being one of them, Joe being another one. And at that point in, in our career, we were just, I mean, we were young and we were hungry and we were hell-bent on literally saying that we, this is the best wrestling company in the world, bar none, and we were set out to prove it. We are seeing the evolution of two great wrestlers to their absolute zenith. Those matches were epic. They go down in history as some of the great matches, really, you know, in, in the last 25 years. An absolutely incredible display of wrestling ability, of athleticism, of endurance, and most of all, of courage. When I watched that match, I was like, best match I've ever seen. It is the wrestling trilogy of the 21st century. Matches were pretty much put Ring of Honor on the map because the vibe that they created, you know, amongst the wrestling community, you know, the internet and everybody, you had to see these. CM Punk, in a lot of ways, even above the title, has been the face of Ring of Honor. So after the feud with Raven, he'd go on to have a, a run of matches against Samoa Joe. Incredible stuff. I have got them, but they're very long. So you had a chemistry with Joe. Imagine what it could be like now. Um, you know, my mindset during these matches with Joe, I, I I was happy where I was. I was. You got to understand. At the time, I was working. I was training guys Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday, I was wrestling in Nashville. Thursday, I was training guys, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I was on the road wrestling. And Ring of Honor was 100% my priority. I was making a very comfortable living, and that was always my goal. So I wasn't trying to go anywhere else. You know, it wasn't until a few months later when, you know, I I felt like I, I did everything. I, I conquered everything. I told all my stories that I get, I, I get very bored and I'm goal-oriented. So once I do one thing, I need to move to the next level. The only other place that I'd never, ever been was WWE. I remember I walked in here one day, I knocked on Gabe's office, and he looked up, and I just had this look on my face, and he just looked right at me, and he said, you signed, didn't you? And then I laid out this... Uh, my brainchild. I said, here's what we're going to do. It's going to leak that I was offered a contract or I signed with WWE, so let's use that. We use the internet to our benefit, right? They're going to let me finish up, and I already talked to them. 
And the only people who knew that were them and us. Nobody else had any clue. Once the news broke that I signed, it was, oh, so the next show is CM Punk's last show. And everyone came out to say goodbye to CM Punk. Everyone assumed he would have he lost the match and lost the title, and he won it. He got on the mic and he cuts one of his famous promos. This belt in the hands of any other man is just a belt. In my hands it becomes power. Just like this microphone in the hands of any of the boys in the back is just a microphone. You put it in the hands of a dangerous man like myself and it becomes a pipe bomb. Well, I was there alive again in Jersey when he won the title. And then to, to swerve him at the end, like, what a prick. Like, only, you know, only he could pull that off. And it was like, it was unbelievable. I am the devil himself. And all of you stupid, mindless people, Some of the funnest times in my career, man, just, just being able to manipulate people, you know. Uh, everyone always seemed to know everything and pride themselves on being smart fans. And nobody had a clue. And I, I think the best part was just the people who think they're so smart and inside myself included, you know, you, you think you know, but they kept swerving you. And I was like, man, what is going on? Pretty cool. I legitimately signed my WWE contract on the title. It's hilarious. This my ass So I figured we'd wrap up the story in Dayton and actually have the farewell match in Chicago, wrestle Cole Cabana. And I don't think I was, I don't think I was ready. I think I, I love this place because it was the first time I saw a lot of my hard work pay off and I saw a lot of other people's hard work not only inspire me but everybody else and I was proud of this place and as the, the, the time as it crept up on me I started getting more and more emotional. That last night uh, was a pretty emotional night, not just for me, I mean for everybody. And I gotta admit, uh, I'm tearing up right now, there's not a dry eye in the house. I mean, people in the crowd, grown men in the crowd are crying, you know, and you're wrestling your best friend. It was a fun match, it was, you know, it was what we had been doing, you know, probably over 200, 300 matches together or against each other in that time, and now he was moving on to a different chapter in his life. And to, to have that match in front of that crowd, and it got emotional at the end, and it was special. It was a great way to cap off the end of the Summer of Punk and watch him go into his new chapter uh, in his new life. So, yeah, CM Punk saying that when he's achieved everything he wanted to, he gets bored and has to move on. I think that's very important looking back on it, and it's kind of actually that he has now with it. But it's all kind of ended up with his uh, farewell match in Ring of Honor, and it was CM Punk. I mean, what a quote that is. I mean, we think people it was used in 2011, but it's actually used way back before he signed. <laughs> a microphone in anybody's hand, just a microphone in my hand, it's a pipe bomb. August 13th, 2005, they got punks in a mess wrestling his best friend at the time, Colt Cabana. <laughs> so that was the summer of punk. And then he signed with WWE. What could go wrong? When I got shipped off to OVW trying to be as big as I could because I figured I was coming to the land of giants. 
At one point, he was like 240, and he was just like, I got to get big. That's what they want. They want big guys, so I got to get big. And then he just, he was this big balloon of a wrestler, and it's like, well, that's not, that's not your frame. A ton of food and a whole bunch of heavyweights. And I was sent to Louisville, Kentucky, and I really didn't want to be there. So the situation was kind of like dark cloud and negative. I first met CM Punk when he walked into the doors of OVW in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> he walked in with a real chip on his shoulder. And he was pissed beyond belief that he had been relegated to the developmental area. Punk was the top guy for Ring of Honor, which at the time was run by my protege, Gabe Sapolsky. And Gabe would always get on the phone and tell me, this guy has it all. This guy is so brilliant. This guy is so talented. So when Punk was signed by WWE, I was salivating at the opportunity to work with him. But I figured there's no way he's coming to OVW. This guy's going to be on top on one, no time flat. And nobody in WWE knew what to do with him because nobody ever really understood what they had. They just signed a guy that had some buzz. CM Punk's got all the tools. He's a former Ring of Honor pure champion. What made CM Punk the top guy at OVW at the time, he was respected by everybody. When he starts talking about wrestling and how to help you or bad things and good things about your work in the ring, you listen. Because people want to know how to get better. And if you can explain to them and elaborate to them how to get better, then people want to be around you. And if you're in the ring and you can make someone look better than they really are, people want to work with you. And everybody wanted to work with CM Punk. Talk about a young man who has walked in here and made a name for himself. I'm talking about Punk. Some of these people hate him, some of these people love him, but every one of them has to respect what he's done here at OVW. I actually got scolded several times when I was in OVW for writing, why isn't anybody from Raw SmackDown drafting this guy immediately? When Paul Heyman was uh, down, kind of uh, really taking the kids along and tutoring them down in OVW, uh, we all heard a lot about CM Punk and what Paul Heyman was doing with him uh, with a very high success rate. Of course, when Paul tells you this, you take it with a grain of salt because uh, Paul is very good at embellishing and promoting. And uh, I'm not knocking Paul for that. That's Paul. You got a main eventer on your hands down here. I'm having a time of my life working with him. But hello, would somebody like to put this guy on television? And I would get memos saying he doesn't even belong on OVW television. Paul uh, thought that he was the next Stone Cold or the next big star, I should say. And uh, I think that that hurt CM Punk quite a bit, to tell you the truth. First of all, Paul never, ever wants to go with the flow. He always wants to go against the grain. So knowing Paul, is he taking somebody that's average, and he's thinking in his mind that he's going to make him better than average, and is this more about Paul than it is CM Punk? And obviously it turned out that that was not the case. CM Punk always had that special something that you knew he was going to be good. You cannot stop my legacy. You don't have the fire inside that I have. He's the type that if he's not good at something, or even if 
He's just okay at it. That's not good enough. He wants to be the best in the world. And he wanted to know everything there is to do in the WWE as well as the wrestling business in general. Every week, I gave all the talent in OVW the opportunity to come by, sit down, and talk about the show with me. First guy in the door every single week, CM Punk. Last guy out the door every single Tuesday night, CM Punk. The chance I got to work with Paul Heyman was amazing. And since I figured at that time, and I was told at that time, that I was never to be called up to television, I was going to make my time in OVW worth it. I would help write television with Paul every Tuesday night when he flew in. I would stay late Wednesday night and learn how to edit the show with Danny Davis and, and Paul Heyman. Paul taught me how to time out a TV show, a skill that, I dare I say, nobody on the side of the camera I'm on knows how to do. He wanted it. He had the ambition. Question after question after question after question after question. And he's just absorbing this knowledge. They taught me a lot, not just inside, but outside the ring. Because I figured, you know, I'm here, I might as well learn. While everyone else was out partying or, you know, trying to sleep, I was just, I, I, I was awake for six months, just six months straight. What an amazing competitor this man CM Punk is. His ability to turn adversity into an opportunity. I love going to work, you know, it, I did a complete 180 where it's like I hated being in Louisville and then I, I turned that around and I made it a place I'd love to go to. You hear the crowd here at Davis Arena, CM Punk, CM Punk screaming at the top of their lungs. The only reason I wasn't uh, messed with or given a new name or told to wear new gear or repackaged as something I'm not is Paul Heyman. I owe my career to Paul Heyman, 100%. You know, everything I did prior to WWE, you know, I, I would say, you know, I, I couldn't have done it without me. And as, as weird as that sounds, yes, there was, there was promoters who booked me and friends who helped me along the way. But, like, CM Punk was always my vision and predominantly 100% me. And then when I got to OVW, I mean, he helped me navigate the landmines, you know. And when ECW got rebooted under Paul Heyman... I was under his umbrella, and he would not have me called up under any other name. And he was telling all these people that I saw say, like, oh, he's, he's never, he's never going to be on Raw. He's never going to be on SmackDown. We're never going to call him up. We're going to keep him in OVW and then eventually get rid of him. And then Paul was like, well, we're doing this ECW thing. Give him to me. Let me have him, and I will show, I'll, show, I'll, I'll show all of you. So, yeah, we just heard there about CM Punk's OVW time being six months there, and thanks to Paul Heyman basically saving him in WWE and then being called up to ECW. And that's going to be our first match. His first ever match in WWE was on the ECW brand, and it was against Just Incredible. Bloody fuck you, bitch. So CM Punk debuts next, and, I mean, he ran independent wrestling for so long. I mean, I see what response to Hardcore in the... Uh, Hammerstein Ballroom, is it? Here comes Young Punk. Who would have thought best in the world, eh? The commentators say how weird it is that a guy doesn't do drugs in ECW. I mean, make a point. But you see a lot of CM Punk signs, though. I paid to see CM Punk. Of course, he's got his tattoos. Tattoos, but of course, like I say, with his trunks. Very basic. He adds to his tattoos as well as yeah. he goes along. Chester's not done at that point. And a huge CM Punk chant. That started <laughs> from day one. 
Colin over a type with just incredible. It's incredible what impact CM Punk has had in wrestling. We consider a guy who left over four years ago still gets chance in the arena. There's not many guys that still could do that, to be fair. No. So this would have been, you know, back a few. if it would happen a few years later, it would have been NXT. Yeah. And then Punk and NXT would have been the whole fucking thing as well, you know. Well, you got to remember how much of a game changer Punk is when you even look at the wrestlers and what they were like. And even the independent wrestlers are kind of shunned upon because they couldn't work the WWE style, you know. And Punk opened up a, a lot of doors. And don't get me wrong, Daniel Bryan helped kick it open as well. But it's, it's those two guys, I feel. And they would have done it with NXT. But even if you look at this, Dan, go back previous years as well. If Punk and Bryan, if ECW was in 2002, 2003, that's the talent we would have had then, you know, the original ECW. So I think that's an interesting thing if you look at either or side. But I think no matter where you come from, Punk, I think would have been quite a success. Well, he tried to springboard there, though, and it wasn't successful. Just incredible throw him into the ring, goes for a cover, and Paul Heyman's brother only counts to two. Two. And Taz saying he's a different-looking athlete. You don't see many of this. Punk rolls behind. Hugh C and Punk chance, and he hits a kick, but he lowers his head. Oh, just incredible catching with a suplex. Hits a second, looking for a trivector. It turns it up, belly to belly overhead. Nice Northern Lights by Credible, but Punk gets a shoulder up at two. Two. <clears throat> Whew, just incredible there. With a nice chop, Irish whip to Punk across the corner. Takes his leg, rolls through with a half Boston. And see if Punk won't tap out on his debut, surely. Don't call me Shirley, but he looks to be struggling and in a bit of pain. Do you know what that X on the back of his hand means? What's the X on the back of his hand mean, Dan? Well, it's a symbol from when you used to go to club under 18s or under 21s, as it was in America, weren't allowed to drink. So that's kind of a sign that, they, you know, you don't want to oh, drink. Wow. It's a shame Just Incredible doesn't have it. Maybe that would have stopped a lot of addiction problems here for him. And I can't quite explain the back fingernails, though. That's just a different one to me. Well, there's a lot of uh, kind of, not the goth movement, but the kind of, like you said, the punk movement as it was. And it was trying to just kind of be against... They're kind of uh, what the public Anti-establishment. Is. Exactly that, yeah. Which I think Punk always was. Now he's on the apron. He's taking off, uh, fighting off Just Incredible. Beautiful clothesline in. Can't get the job done, though. Oh, no. Only getting a two count. Two. And it's thanks to Paul Heyman. He wasn't repackaged anyway. It was the CM Punk character that he wanted. Just imagine he could have been like Kevin Thorne or something like that. You know, <laughs> a vampire coming in. Fuck yeah. oh, I know, imagine how bad that would have been. And he, he says it's it's thanks to Heyman, especially his early years. He would never got the opportunity, even though it did hurt him. I talk about hurt and combination by Punk. That was a lovely combination. Left slap, right slap, backhand slap, knee. And now Into he's got the Anaconda Vice. Yeah, he's got the Anaconda Vice. Justin Incredible's in trouble. And he's tapping out. So he didn't even win his first match with a GTS. He didn't have a GTS, I don't think, for at least a couple of months. And then, of course, he took it off. Well, I say he took it. Yeah, he he he, he took the move from um, Kenta, who is Hideo Itami now. Because you, you know what Punk's finisher was on the independent circuit? Oh. It was a Pepsi plunge, which was a pedigree from the top rope. And obviously... <laughs> Triple H wouldn't have had that. Triple H wouldn't allow it. And yeah, B, it's quite a dangerous move anyway. So then he, he wondered what to use. The Anaconda Vice for submission, like I said, the GTS then came into it. But it, like you say, and people who uh, are learning about any wrestler, it's never themselves from day one. You know, we, us looking back 20 years at Jericho and these other guys, it's always the evolution of the character and what you pick up from. So you're never the finished article from day one. The punk we saw here, the punk from Survivor Series 2007, 
it would be a gradual thing, you know? A new platform to introduce new characters. And, you know, for, for CM Punk, it really kind of gave him a chance to, you know, showcase his skills on a different level and really be like the, uh, I don't want to say big fish in the small pond, but obviously ECW compared to Raw and SmackDown was, I guess, the small pond. Don't let these tattoos fool you. I'm straight edge. I'm a man of great discipline. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. My addiction is wrestling. To me, the next generation of ECW superstars started with CM Punk. He was my first draft pick. He was the first guy I wanted from the developmental system. I wanted CM Punk to be the superstar the wrestler, the personality that inherited the legacy and brought that legacy forward into a new generation for ECW. From Chicago, Illinois, C.M. Punk. They embraced it and they let the world know you're witnessing the debut of a brand new Star. This crowd reacts to see that he's getting a pretty strong response from the ECW fan base. I remember the first time I saw him, it was ECW. I was a freshman in college, I was in the dorms, and I sprinted down my hallway and I knocked on every single door and I'm like, my brother's on TV, my brother's on TV. So I had my whole wing of the dorm like in my room and spilling out into the hallway to watch them. I mean, it was just so surreal to see him doing that. Huge opportunity for CM Punk, who has competed in Japan and Europe, but is now competing on worldwide television. He was hitting on every level. And the audience knew it, and Punk knew it, I knew it, and no one else would accept it because it wasn't supposed to happen that way. The attention was supposed to be on other people. And the fact that CM Punk was getting this momentum almost rubbed everybody the wrong way. He built a name for himself, like, I guess, the last territorial wrestler. He had a reputation from being uh, one of the king of the indies, if you will. It's just, you, you kind of hear about these guys. The stories become bigger and more overwhelming and you know, you're always a critic. So when you, you finally see the, the product, it never it never lives up to the hype. And that's not a dig at him. That's just like, oh, you gotta see this. It's the greatest, it's the newest thing. And then when you see it, you're like, eh. And it wasn't that he wasn't good or wasn't polished, he is. But when you come in with the legend of John Henry's hammer and you, you, you can't live up to that. So immediately I became like, eh, who's this guy? Is that, that's, that's it. No one got CM Punk. He was different. He was unique. And they didn't get him. You look at the dude and think, oh, this is the guy that's going to go park our cars, or this is the guy that's going to steal our car, one of the two. But when he puts his gear on, he just transforms, man. He just becomes somebody else. My goal was to just show them, show everybody, that I was the real deal, you know? And to me, my hard work would outshine everything, and I would bust my ass looks like I did an OVW 
just like I did in Ring of Honor and just like I did everywhere else I've been. And eventually, you know, hard work, perseverance pays off and cream rises to the top. If you would have asked me, can he be a star in the WWE? I would have said yes. Can he be the face of the WWE? I was like, there, there's no way. He's not, he's not that he doesn't have the ability. He's not what they're looking for. CM Punk is not and was not at that time the typical WWE prototype, what we usually look for in our superstars from a size stature, the way CM Punk looked, you know, with the tattoos and the kind of scruffy look, which, of course, didn't bother me. But uh, I would say that there were some higher up in the organization that would say, that's not my poster boy for this company. And that hindered his growth as far as from a company standpoint, but it never hindered his heart. Probably in the long run, best thing that ever happened to him. Paul was always very high on CM Punk. Now, there were some in talent relations at that time that had actually contemplated uh, cutting Punk, that Punk was on a you know, endangered species list, and uh, we don't see some improvement, or if he doesn't do things differently, that he might be on the list of thanks for coming and best of luck on your future endeavors. Heyman always fought for Punk because Paul felt that this guy had, a, had something special. My experience in ECW, I think for the first six months was awesome, you know. But I had Paul Heyman there. I had Paul Heyman holding my hand, walking me through the minefield. And then I think it was December 4th, Paul Heyman, uh, you know, quit or got fired, depending on who you talk to. And from then on, it was a full-on, okay, this isn't going to last very much longer mode, you know, but it didn't stop me from working hard. Sean and I had talked about it. You know, he was a guy that we thought had a lot of potential, and Punk kind of always had that, I, I think, a little bit of the attitude that was missing from a lot of guys. And I don't mean attitude in bad attitude or anything else. I just mean in the, hey, I'm going to go do this whether you want me to do it or not. Like, I'm going to go take this. This is mine to take. There is no doubt about it, CM Punk is relentless. CM Punk earned this championship opportunity. John Morrison, the champion, a very focused, a very driven athlete, is the challenger, is CM Punk. Once again, it was one of those things where they looked at John, they looked right through me, and they said, John's our guy. He's going to be the man. Awesome. This guy's got everything you need to be a star. And I love Morrison to death, but he wasn't ready at that time. I'm not saying I was. I wasn't the perfect choice by any means, but I, I thought I was way more ready than he was. And then me and him proceeded to have some of the worst garbage, if you even call them matches, on pay-per-views. I think we had three pay-per-views straight where it was just we were the victim of time constraints, and just about anything else, and both of us being young and stupid and trying to cram 15 minutes of stuff in five minutes, and uh, the matches weren't good. They weren't good at all. My last shot at John Morrison and the ECW title was in Cincinnati, and I, I remember it extremely well because it's still to this day, I think it's one of my best matches ever. For whatever reason, me and him just clicked that night, and it was one of those things where we just went out there and I don't like to use the word, oh, it was, it was magical, but during the match, I was, I was feeling it like, okay, we, we got something here, and I eventually beat him with the GTS, 
and uh, you know the, the rest they say is history. CM Punk's long journey to the ECW Championship has come to fruition. And I, I won that title, and I grabbed onto it, and I remember thinking immediately. You know, because the, the paranoia and everything. Well, this isn't going to last long. You know, like, this is as good as it's going to get. All right. I win. So, we get to our second match. And like CM Punk says, it's one of his uh, early favorites. And it is for the ECW title. It's uh, ECW episode 65, September 4th, 2007. CM Punk versus John Morrison. Yeah, and after a few what he'd call garbage matches, if you can call them them, you know, due to time constraints and trying to fit 15 minutes worth of match into five minutes, they weren't great. But on this certain night, they just clicked. And he doesn't like to use the word, but it was magical. Exactly. So let's watch this magical match here on ECW. We see Joe Styles and Taz on the commentary and talk about the rivalry between Morrison and CM Punk. So this is Punk's last chance at the ECW Championship. It comes out here to a very positive response. Most definitely. He's had a few opportunities. He won a fatal four-way match to get his first opportunity against John Morrison. I think he beat Big Daddy V, the boogeyman, and someone else in a match. And, uh, yeah, this is his last chance on an episode of ECW going against the Shaman of Sexy, the Tuesday Night Delight. John Morrison. What are your thoughts on John Morrison? We've not seen a real lot of him, I suppose, on the uh, WNR podcast. What are your thoughts? Do you like him or not? I thought he was quite an entertaining wrestler. He, I don't know, there was just something about him that I couldn't quite click with, but, you know, he was certainly innovative. He was a good worker in the ring, and, yeah, you know, he's. I think he's apparently doing quite well in Impact Wrestling. Yeah, I mean, he's Johnny Impact now, isn't he? Uh, I don't think he's been too bad. He, he had quite a success there. I think my problem with him uh, that he lacked was a bit of a voice that like we see in CM Punk, that like how strong it is. I think even with The Miz at this time, uh, as like, you know, his tag team partner and whatnot, yeah, the fact is that he had a little bit more to say and a little bit more personality with Morrison. I think he had a good look. He was all right in the ring, but... Like I said, the character development. Who was John Morrison? We know who CM Punk is. He's straight edge, you know. He wants to be the best in the world. With Morrison, it's like, yeah, he, what, he's a charm and a sexy, but does he just want to look sexy? Or, you know, <laughs> what's his journey? Tell me more. He liked to wear a really thick woolly coat indoors, mm. and his entrance was kind of slowed down in a way, and like, he'd have the fans blowing, and he'd do his slow motion Thing, but... do, you, do you know how Morrison got his start? Or Jolly Nitro? Uh, Eminem. Uh, I was in. He's he's starting on Tough Enough. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was on episode, series two. Didn't make it. He's on. He was uh, one series three of Tough Enough. Miz was on series four. And uh, yeah, I was, I was quite surprised. I thought, oh fucking hell! I didn't know he was a complete amateur. If you know what I mean. And then he's kind of made it from there. So I think that's fair play in his career. You look at the differences. Morrison won a game show really to get in WWE Punk's worked hard like you said for the past five six, five, years. six years now yeah it's what WWC is a superstar versus what CM Punk is what an actual superstar is <laughs> or should be so we go in the early going each man's going to test each other out Morrison going for an early pink cover attempt but Punk getting his shoulder up and now Punk's trying to leverage but Morrison yeah got the front face lock in just wearing him down CM Punk chance now 
And he's trying to power up, and he does. Go behind now for the cover. But Morrison up at one. One. So you can you can imagine Punk at this time is getting a bit frustrated because his past few title attempts, he, they, well, they've been not the greatest of matches. No, they haven't. And, another, you know, and again, he's got to be frustrated by the fact that uh, Paul Heyman has gone now, so there's not really any guidance. There's talk that he may be released if his performances don't improve. And he thinks to himself, well, he's up against someone like Morrison, and he, he deserves it more than Morrison does. You know, he, he's a better wrestler, like I said, been around longer, whereas Morrison's kind of just thrown into it, and he's getting the blame for that. So, as you can see from an early going, way back then, you can see the frustrations of him just wanting his chance, you know, finally getting it tonight. You hope to get a little bit of time as well. I think, I think, Punk wants to show to everybody. We heard what Cena said about him as well, about yeah. kind of all hype. You know, he's taught, but can can he really go in the ring? But these guys are saying, you know, he's all hype. Can he go like Cena? I don't suppose they've looked back at his Ring of Honor tags. You know, they don't go looking back at wrestlers, what they've done, what they can do. They're just judging him by what they've seen from possibly ECW matches. Yeah, and this is the thing. They say once you get to WWE, that's where you start from you know we don't look back and that's why even now with people like I suppose Samoa Joe went down to NXT and people like that to prove themselves in a weird way even though we know whatever they've become I think the only guy really that didn't do that was AJ Styles you look at how successful he's been in the W since being there he didn't have to prove himself in that way so sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but with Punk like I said it's always been a struggle but wherever he's gone where it be IWA, where he started out and became a star there, or Ring of Honor, OVW, and now ECW. He says the cream rises to the top, and at this moment in time, it's, it's true, you know, and it's, it's there to be seen if he can go to Raw and or SmackDown and have any success. I think it'll have enough of the wrestling there between the two. Punk with just a huge kick. Takes Morrison down, now grabs the arm, and another kick, and a huge chop to the chest. Referee Scott Armstrong checking on him. Big Irish whip. Sending Morrison back first into the top. Now Punk looking for a suplex. Nice for the float over. Going for the cover. But Morrison again get the shoulder out. At one. One. But you can see where, you know, Punk's taken inspiration from Eddie Guerrero. Like he was saying, Dean Malenko. He's, he's definitely a technician and a worker. He was saying, he showed Paul Heyman was saying, if they're having meetings, Punk was first in the door. Last one out to leave. He'd go and... You know, learn things that maybe potentially other wrestlers didn't feel they needed to learn, but it could have helped them in their careers. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. As Morrison is trying to sunset flip Punk on the outside. Oh, yeah. Punk was on the uh, edge of the ring apron. Morrison sunset flipped over, looking to powerbomb him. Punk catching him with a kick and then like a springboard crossbody. Yeah, beautiful acai moonsault there by CM Punk. But like I say, it's the little things that they learn, different techniques. Morrison's been le- uh, been taught the WWE way, you know, through that system, whereas Punk's gone out there and picked up from other wrestlers. Like I said, people like Raven that he's learned stuff from, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, even people in Ring of Volley, you know, Samoa Joe and Daniel Bryan, all bring different things to the table. I think, like I say, uh, for me... I don't, there's not that many bad CM Punk matches, and I think the bad matches that they are, I think he admits to them as well, you know. There's something entertaining and something fluid about Punk. And like I say, it is a next generation kind of Guerrero, Malenko, Jericho, that kind of line. And uh, it's interesting to see who steps up to that kind of next generation afterwards as well. But he was doing things in 2001 that 
you wouldn't go on to see until, well, you know, 2007, mm. 2008. So he was like six, seven years ahead of his game. Yeah. But I think the thing about that is the injuries as well that Punk sustained and like been beaten up. When you take that many risks that early on, we've seen it with other wrestlers, the TLC guys, you know. How how many how much uh, the injuries can actually Jeff Hardy's still stop. going? Yeah, he's suffering from another injury, you know, like a pinched nerve or something like that. So it's amazing he's still walking, and he's the one who took probably the most risks out of everybody. <laughs> Morrison's got Punk hanging over the edge of the apron, though, kicks him in the chest. So I don't think Morrison. I don't think he's too bad, you know. Like I say, isn't that tough enough? He was doing stuff that no one else could do, you know, that kind of athletic. You know, flips and shooting star and stuff well, like that. You've got it. the starship pain, which is yep. quite a good finisher. Like I say, his look and the way he wrestles is, is good, but it's just that kind of next, isn't it, thing. It always being compared to being the next Shawn Michaels. Will be the first John Morrison. Show us what you're about, you know. Yeah. There's only one CM Punk. That's, this is why you look at the, the superstars we've looked at in Superstar Pro, like Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels, Randy Orton. They're, always, they're the first ones of those aren't they you know there's no there's not anybody else you could say oh yeah that's that's you can get confused with them morrison irish whip punk punk came out with some steam but morrison caught him hit with a bat breaker tried a net breaker but punk rolled him up oh and a lovely knee to the jaw from morrison oh he escaped that and took punk down goes for the cover but punk managing to kick out oh uh. <laughs> Ooh, uh. I, saw, I, was, I was reacting to the match <laughs> And now the forearms from Morrison with the heads and the body. And I, I tell you what I like now, and maybe it's like we try, is kind of having more analysis on the match beforehand. You know what I mean? When when Punk's talking about what happened to it or what the match was like during it, then watching it back, you kind of look at it differently, didn't you? It's like having a um, director's commentary or something like that, even in a way. That would be a good idea for things to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You can see these guys gelling. They've had a few matches before in the past, mm. so you know it's it's kind of coming together. And I think one thing's important, and we've seen it in the NXT in two hundred five live. It's time getting enough time Most to tell yeah. to tell a story. As Morrison is wearing Punk down, Punk fighting back now, but his long hair gets in the way. <laughs> That's his downfall. But then you know they're both on an evil, even playing field. John Morrison's hair is just as long yeah, as CM right. Punk's. I think a little bit shinier as well. Morrison looks a little bit cleaner. No offence to Punk. Like I say, I'm a Punk fan. But that's the Punk way, though. Yeah. He doesn't care anyway. And he catches Morrison on the top. Well, John Morrison, one might argue he's he's absolute. Oh, oh superplex there. That word is barred from the podcast. No, you're barred from oh, I'm barred. He is then. I would agree if you're there with Morrison. I wholeheartedly agree. I wholeheartedly agree. He's, like I said, his body, damn. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would love. When I look in the mirror, I see that looking back at me. Punk Man making a comeback, taking Morrison down a couple of times now a clothesline. Irish ripping a calf kick. Crowd getting excited. A punk full of cover. But Morrison managing to get his shoulder up at two. Two. So you're more of a James Ellsworth and I'm a Daniel Bryan. <laughs> so, you know. James Ellsworth. There's a bit of James Storm. I don't know. Oh, shit, James is. James E. Cornette. <laughs> <laughs> Punk with the Irish shot to Morrison. And now the big knee in the corner. The signature, if you work, and he follow up with the Bulldog. Hits the Bulldog on Morrison. Goes for a cover. One, One two. two. Oh. But Morrison managing to kick out. Ah. Punk now getting frustrated. What's he going to do? Maybe Morrison's got his numbers. Beat him three times on paper. Maybe falls the charm in this one. Punk's got the Chicago made trunks on as well. He hits Morrison with a knee. 
going to go for the Tiger Bomb. No, Morrison backs him up into the corner. And now responds himself with a beautiful Pele kick. Right on the bottom. And Morrison pulls Punk into the middle of the ring. I don't think he's going to try and pin him. Maybe he's going to go up for that Starship Pain. Spitting that corkscrew moonsault. Hits oh. it. Goes Perfect. for the cover. One, two. two. Oh, oh, but Punk just managing to kick out. Uh-huh. And Morrison can't believe Punk got the shoulder up now. And now he's going to go for the spin around. Punk picks him up. GTS. No, Morrison fights out. Rolls Punk up. One, two. He's got the trunks as well. Oh, and the he's ropes. he's got the rope, but Scott Anderson catches him. And a great decision there. Roll up by Punk. One, two. Oh. oh. Again, Morrison just managing to kick out. Uh-huh. And now Punk with this step up in Seguri. The fans are on their feet. They're absolutely loving this. And these two young guns going at it. Morrison's back up in the corner. For the top prize on ECW, nonetheless. Oh, damn. Morrison dodges. Punk ducks the springboard in Seguri. And now Punk's got Morrison up. GTS. Bang. Nap time for Morrison. One, two... Free. Yeah. And the crowd love it. And CM Punk wins his first championship in WWE, the ECW title. It's basically the equivalent of being the NXT champion now. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, what did you think of that match? I thought it was a bloody good match. Yeah, you know, they, these two guys definitely gelled, told a great story. You know, it was, it was a very even match. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what Punk says about the chemistry happening, it's vital in wrestling. And you can see it there as well. Everything gelled that night. And the fans were so into it. They play a, a vital role, I think, yeah. in there. And it shows kind of Punk's popularity. Like, when he wins, he gets that kind of crowd reaction as well. People rooting for seeing there, rightfully so. A great show there between Morrison and our man first got called up obviously it was uh to me just a matter of time before i got released and that seemed to be everybody's uh feeling towards the subject of cm punk you know oh he's an indie guy he's, he's just gonna get released so you know and i got my one wrestlemania under my belt and i kept reaching these goals where i would tell myself like well okay you know if i if i get fired tomorrow you know at least i at least i did this or at least i experienced that so going into that wrestlemania uh and winning the money in the bank is you know, to me, it was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is the start of something. So that's our next stop then. It is WrestleMania 24. WrestleMania. WrestleMania. It's a Money in the Bank match. So March 2008, we are in Orlando, Florida, at the Florida Citrus Bowl for the Money in the Bank match. And here comes Morrison. So this is, we've seen Morrison twice now. So Morris is coming out. What do you, I think WrestleMania 24, I'll let you know what I think first. Uh, WrestleMania 24 is probably one of my favourite WrestleManias, to be fair. You've got the Edge on Sega main event. You've got the Money in the Bank match. You've got a couple of other good matches as well. Yeah, it's a very... Got, enter- <laughs> no, go on, sorry. Yeah, it's a very entertaining WrestleMania. It's got a bit of everything to kind of get your juices flowing. Isn't that a Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels match? There the is. Big Show Mayweather match? Uh, it is. That's, that's one of my favourites. I'm sorry, I love you. The biggest versus the best. Goodbye. Uh, yeah, the biggest versus the best. Mayweather show, they pulled on a hell of a show there. Uh, and of course, who could forget your favourite in action as well? So here comes Shelton Benjamin. My God. And he's about the WWE roster now. The gold yeah. standard. Usually has money in the bank moments. We just saw Carlito 
coming out as well. And he spits in the face and anybody who doesn't want to be cool. Yeah. Here comes our man. And what a response he's getting at his second WrestleMania. It's clobbering time. Kennedy talking shit to Punk. Also, they got history all the way back to IWA. And, of course, Punk's got history with Morrison with the ECW connection. I'm coming. And he's coming out here. United States champion MVP. Very outspoken. He's still a friend of... He still likes Benoit. That's literally... That's what he said. He's Benoit's... Yeah. He was fine. But United States champion. He's got fireworks. So MVP's held on to the US title for over a year. Almost a year. Almost a year. Seven. Fireworks time and save us Y2J. The new IWGP Intercontinental Champion, Chris Jericho, coming out here. And he's Intercontinental Champion at that time at WrestleMania as well. So we've got one half of the Tag Team Champions. We've got the US Champ and we've got the IC Champ. Yes, we are, yeah. And we've got a GOAT and the BRTW. <laughs> it's Money in the Bank time. It's one of the favourite matches. And, of course, we've got Money in the Bank happening next weekend. And we are live for NXT TakeOver on the Saturday night. Do not forget that. Chicago 2. And then we'll bring you Money in the Bank action. And here we go in this match. And every man, a bar MVP, are going outside to try and grab a ladder. Benjamin gets tossed into the ring post. So Carlito's got a ladder. Morrison's bringing one in. Oh, Morrison slides a shorter ladder into the ring. He gets caught with a kick from MVP. Now... Paul's just fighting everyone off. There's a strategic ladder placed between the barricade and the ring apron. Yeah, MVP took Punk's head off with that ladder. Now Jericho's come in, and his ladder's much bigger than MVP's. It doesn't matter about the size of a ladder. It's about how you use it. Jericho's got his big ladder in hand. Well, Jericho's big ladder's going to reach places that MVP's just don't go. Oh, no, no, but that is going to... Oh, my God. Hurt MVP. Ceremoniously throws at him. Morrison's in. He's got a ladder in hand, too. He uses his as a weapon to throw at Jericho. And now the ladder falls on that top turnbuckle. Morrison's got the uh, wee ladder, and he goes up. What's he doing up there? Well, no idea. MVP on the outside fight with Punk at the moment. And here comes Morrison. He's not. Moonsault with the ladder. Takes down about four or five other wrestlers. No, Carlito, MVP, Benjamin and Punk all down after that. That was a risk. Was it worth taking by Morrison? Now it's Kennedy in there with Jericho. Kennedy's the first one to set up a ladder in the middle of the ring. Is he going to try and get this match finished early? It'd be pretty silly in the CM Punk special though, wouldn't it? It would be. But Kennedy did win it last year, so you never know. And Jericho no, stops Kennedy. Oh, Jericho now has got it down. Maybe Wolves. You can't win a match by submission, though, Christopher. And he's going to use a move that doesn't work in real life. A slingshot, and it sends Kennedy halfway up the ladder. Jericho chases him. Kennedy slaps him off. Now he's got fingers on the briefcase. What's Morrison doing? He's got a ladder set up. Use it to take Jericho out while stepping across to the ladder in the middle of the ring. Now these two men fighting in a very precarious position. Benjamin's got a ladder set up next to him. Now Benjamin coming up. The other guy's still trying to recover at ringside. Now Benjamin grabbing a briefcase. And now Kennedy slams Morrison's head into the ladder. Now does it again. And Benjamin going up. Kennedy's going to go for a suplex. Oh, my God. Now here comes Benjamin. A triple tower of doom from reach out and touch the stars position. (laughs) Now that was pretty incredible. Benjamin jumping over a sunset flip onto Kennedy. They superplex John Morrison all the way over the ladder. 
And it was like they were throwing out a vehicle. And now Benjamin's going to go up and get money in the bank. But Carlito's there. Tipping Benjamin backwards. This is a fuck up. Oh, Benjamin Low manages to catch himself on the top rope. Pushes the ladder back at Carlito. Tries to jump springboarding back from the ring rope to the ladder. And the ladder just stacks and folds underneath him. And that's why it's called high risk. Low reward. Because you can seriously hurt yourselves. And Punk's in the midst of uh, all the chaos trying to climb the ladder. Well, we haven't seen a lot of Punk yet, but Kennedy's somehow back to his feet. And now it's Morrison and Jerk on the outside. Punk going back up. Benjamin to his feet. Benjamin slams Punk into the second rope, uh, into the second turnbuckle. Punk comes back. Just Oh, looking for a GTS on Benjamin. He's got him. Hits oh. it. <laughs> And now it's Punk's chance. Surely. Don't call me Shirley, but he's climbing to the top of the ladder. But you've got Carlito and Kennedy. Oh. What's Kennedy going to do? Oh, oh a rolling senton on the ladder. He's given Carlito a chance to climb. MVP's there, though, to try and slow Carlito down. And he does catch him with a huge right hand. And now it's MVP's chance. He's securing himself the ladder. Oh, you take your time, mate. Boots Kennedy down. He's waiting for Kennedy to get up. Oh, looking for the Yakuza kick in the corner onto Carlito, who moves out of the way. Leaving MVP stranded, leg over the top rope, and takes out his other leg with a ladder. Jericho waiting for his spot to get back into this match. And now Carlito must be the slowest climber of a ladder. Going to go reach it. No, Benjamin's stopping him. Oh, Benjamin looking for a super kick, gets caught by Carlito, hits him. With the Inseguri after Carlito span him round. Now it's Benjamin's turn. It's the gold standard's chance to reach the brass ring. But Kennedy is up. Not Kennedy. Kennedy. And he's going to push Benjamin. Oh, him and Carlito working together. Benjamin. Oh. Oh. And he goes out to the ladder that I mentioned earlier that was set up on the barricade on the edge of the ring apron. Well, he might be dead. <laughs> Carlito's face. <laughs> And now both men trying to climb the ladder. The same side of the ladder. Jericho's trying to climb it as well. And now Jericho's got a briefcase. All three men trying to scramble for it. Montel Vontavious Porter takes care of that. Oh, pushing the ladder. Jericho lands on Punk. And then Morrison comes in and throws a ladder at MVP. Well, Kennedy landed on Carlito as well with that impact. So now the path's clear for Morrison. That ladder's a bit wibbly-wobbly. Yeah, he's got one hand on the briefcase, though. Ah, but Jericho's up again. Morrison trying to fight him off. Uh-oh, Morrison in a bit of trouble now. He's been caught by Jericho with one leg. No, he's not. Oh! Walls of Jericho over the top of a ladder. And Jericho's got it in, but Kennedy's getting up with a ladder in hand. Kennedy reaching for it. Morrison's stopping Jericho. No. Jericho stopping Kennedy. Morrison crashed and burned. Now Jericho fighting, but Punk's on the apron. He springboards onto the other side of Kennedy's ladder. Carlito springboards onto the other side of Jericho's ladder. Now four men fighting. And a face buster from Kennedy to Punk sends them two off the ladder. And Jericho's got the briefcase, but Carlito's still up. And Carlito's got Jericho. What's he got in store? Oh, fucking hell, no. Backstabber. I think that fucks up Carlito's wrist, doesn't it? Oh, my God. Just fucked up Jericho's back. 
Everyone's down apart from MVP. This match is his to lose. Well, the crowd don't like it, but he's going to take the opportunity now. He's smirking, Dan. No, James hasn't got a cigarette in his gob. He's just got a smile on his face because he knows there is no way he's going to lose this match. Look, no one's up. No, he's got the briefcase. He's taking his... Who's that? Wait a minute. It's Matt Hardy. It's Hardy? He's not in this match. He took about nine months ago. A knee injury. Twist the fate off the top of a ladder. Matt's just got a bit of retribution there with MVP. Well, James, you might say that move was wonderful. (laughs) Well, he's definitely made an impression here at WrestleMania. And now Morrison's got the ladder. But he gets taken out by Punk. Jericho somehow back up after that backstabber. Shout on Benjamin's not up yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> no. Jericho just hitting everyone with that ladder. Went to hit Punk, but missed him, and now it's got stuck. Oh, and the ladder's in a very precarious position. Morrison sees that as an, ad- as an opportunity. Oh, Morrison can't climb the ladder. He can just, but they're tearing it back. Punk's there. Oh, he gets caught with the ladder. Morrison cracks himself on the top rope, springs to the outside. Now Jericho is looking to win the man... Uh, Looking to win the briefcase now. The match he created. Yeah, now he's got it. He's in touching distance, but Carlito's up. He had a mouthful of apples, spits it in Jericho's face. Oh, that's not cool. Kennedy throws Jericho up, but Carlito's got it. Oh, that's a silly position to sit in, Carlito. No, he's confident. He's got two hands on it, and Kennedy's up. Oh, Kennedy pushes Carlito onto the ladder that was set up in the corner. Two in a row for Kennedy, no! Punk comes in with a ladder, takes out Kennedy. And now Jericho's up, though. Looking for a code breaker. Oh! Punk uses, well, I don't know if Punk blocked it with the ladder or he catches it even worse. But Jericho's up before Punk. And now Jericho's going to get the briefcase. Thought maybe that was Punk's chance now, but all is lost. Well, Jericho's the only man standing, but Punk's looking to recover. How the hell is Punk to his feet? Shaking the ladder, very innovative there, stopping Jericho from reaching out to grab the briefcase. Well, he's showing a bit of guts here, but Jericho kicking Punk, but Punk will not die. Now finally down, Jericho up. Punk back up the ladder again. Now trying Punching and kicking Jericho. The kick's rocking Jericho, but Jericho's still not there. Punk now got a hand on the briefcase. And both men right near the top of the ladder fighting, trying to get the briefcase and trying to stop each other getting a briefcase. Oh, Jericho's got it now. Takes it in the face and goes down the ladder. Oh, but grabs Jericho's leg, pulls it through the ladder, hangs him up. Jericho can't move. <laughs> and now the crowd to the feet. They know Punk's got there. No one else is about. Yes. And seeing Punk is Mr. Money in the Bank. And what a reaction there. At WrestleMania, Punk is money in the bank. Punk wins. Dan, what do you think of that? That was a bloody good match. You know, there was a good couple of high spots. Everyone played their part. And, you know, there was a little surprise element with Matt Hardy coming out and preventing MVP from winning the match. And, you know, I think it was the right man that won the match as well at the end of the day. Yeah, I think the right man won. You know, it could have been the candidate. It could be MVP. But MVP's got a few set up. Kalito didn't really look that strong. But the bump Benjamin took was great. And also, like I said, that Tower of Doom move. Like, this opens that up. 
I mean, will he be the first man to unsuccessfully cash in money in the bank? We'll have to wait and find out. Remember, every man that has cashed in money in the bank has won a world title. It was the first time, I think, at least in my mind, it's his friend saying, wow, they're going to go with him. You know, through all this time and all this struggle and all these battles of uh, you're not corporate enough or whatever, but the idea that he still loves wrestling so much, uh, he finally won a little bit of a notch. I remember that was the first time someone won the briefcase and they, there was that kind of general feeling like, oh, well, Punk's not, he's not championship material. You know, he's going to be the first guy who, who doesn't cash it in and doesn't win the title and looks like a fool. Oh, wait a minute. Uh-oh. See a Punk is doing it. He's cashing in money in the bank. The GPS. The cover. Punk's done it. Punk's the champion. Oh, my God. Punk's the champion. Uh, it was pretty insane. It was, you know, another moment where I was like, okay, this is it. Uh, I'm never looking back. I'm, I've made it to the top. I just won the world title. This is Ric Flair's title. This is Dusty Rhodes' title. It's kind of a rad thing to see that your boy is now, here's this punk rock kid, probably never had a chance, to be honest, and he made, he made a chance for himself. I was ready to take on the world. I was like, okay, here it is, here it comes, this is it. You know, I'm gonna kick every single door down and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm balling my fist and swing at the world and here we go, CM Punk's on top. I'm gonna show people what I can do. Punk was now the champion. But what's funny is um, he wasn't the man still in the company, he wasn't the golden boy. He was like this little outcast champion that, you know, that seemed like the true wrestling fans knew well, that was their champion. And then there was, you know, I think John Cena was, you know, the, the machines fans, you know, the machines champion. He finally reached in his mind his dream. I am now world champion. And he got no perks. And the very least thing he got was the proper recognition of being a champion. Matter of fact, a lot of people thought he tarnished the championship. I would pretty much say most of the locker room at that time really thought it was the wrong move. When you go back over time with the Ric Flairs and Triple H or those guys, and you look at that guy in a three-piece suit with his championship uh, in his arm, and you say, wow, man, that's, he represents a company. And I just didn't see Punk as that guy. He's not meant to be the guy in a three-piece suit with his championship in his arm. That's not who CM Punk is. He's not the norm. For the first time in recent memory, I believe the champion is actually the underdog. He wasn't positioned as the guy. He wasn't positioned as, you know, I'm a real, this will go behind the scenes a lot, so I don't know if you guys will even use this or not. I'm a real big believer in the title doesn't make the guy. The guy makes the title. And I think it was kind of like the, the championship was trying to make him. And I don't think it works that way. I think it's the opposite. I think it's um, the, the, the guys that are the most successful, the guys that have the long-term um, value in that role are the guys that are there, not because of that championship. They're, they get that championship because they're there.
I was, you know, competing uh, for real estate on Raw with guys like John Cena, Triple H, uh, Shawn Michaels, and it just seemed odd to me that, you know, you, the to me the focal point should most always be the the title, you know. But I'm I'm old school, you know. Uh, to me, the title it means you're you're the best. It means you're on top. Everybody should be coming after what you have, and it just wasn't presented in that light. Well, I think at that time there were some rivalries going on that superseded the title. Sometimes there are stars that are bigger than the title. It's just having the title was not their drawing factor. Their characters and their personas and how they connect with the audience was their drawing factor. And it was almost like the world title on Punk at that time was like, nah, that's cool. What, what else is going on? And that had to be really tough on them. It's just one of those deflating things. It's like, I have this title. I don't, you know, I almost looking around like you're, you're quasi invisible and it, you, you shouldn't be. You're the, you're the champion. I was excited about that long run he was going to have and the opportunity to travel the world and represent that company. And then it just kind of got taken away from him. Well, I think since I've become champion, the odds have been obviously stacked against me, but it's been like that my entire life. And I... The chances Punk would be a whole hell of a lot greater if the guy holding the championship wasn't an absolute fluke. See, I'm proving people wrong. So you and everybody else who thinks I'm a fluke. Oh my God! Oh my good Lord! As a result of what happened moments ago, it appears that CM Punk may not be able to compete. You know, to be told day of, like, I was excited. I was ready to go out, you know, Cleveland and give him a show. And I was excited about the concept of the scramble match and all this stuff, and I was raring to go. And then I get there and they tell me, no, oh, you're not on the paper. It's just like, okay, all right, and, and why? Oh, we're gonna do this thing, Randy's gonna kick you in the head. The Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels program needs the title. And I was just like, okay. I mean, just very, very deflating, very disappointing. You know, I mean, it just it just sucked in a word. It sucked seeing like here's this guy's potential. Why aren't you running with this dude? You're giving him all the opportunity. And then, you know, when he wins the belt and then he doesn't even have a match to like lose the belt. It's like, are you serious? Like, why would you push this guy and then kill him? What are you doing? What's the what's the thought process? There's a lot of factors. I think kind of sometimes it's a little demoralizing to a talent. You know, this is tough to understand. Like, you hear that your whole life you dream about how you're going to, if you want to be good in this business, you're going to become the WWE champion. And then it's, well, you're going to become WWE champion, but really not really, kind of. We're going to give this to you, and you're not really going to be the guy, and you're not going to be the featured guy, and you're not going to be opening segment or last segment. You're going to kind of be um, the guy that has the title in the middle of the card somewhere. It's really not a, we're not really changing your position. We're just giving you this to hold for a little bit and then taking it away. That's it's it's a tough, tough thing. Okay, uh, yeah, we pick up from there and we go to October twenty seventh, two thousand eight, Raw eight oh five, and it's priceless, Dan. Remember Team Priceless? They were looking to be a part of Legacy, weren't they? Indeed, yes. You got the son of the Dusty Road 
Bebe and the son of the million dollar man Ted DiBiase going against Kofi Kingston and CM Punk. Right, so as we're told on Raw, last month at Unforgiven, Punk was attacked and lost the world title. Manu. That's it, Manu. Manu. Kofi tried to help, but alas, couldn't, and what a punt. That was very impressive. Mm, it was. And I'll tell you something, we come back to Haunt Orton in about a year and a half after. So it's tag team titles online, Kofi and Punk. Will they make a good tag team? I just don't know, Dan. Now here come Price. There's Manu alongside Dibiase and Rhodes. And we look at this. I mean, the, the stage was set to make Ted Dibiase Jr. a star, wasn't it, really? To make him the next guy to come out of it, the next round. It never really worked. Look at Cody Rhodes now, the success he's had going his own path. Ted actually retired from wrestling. Yeah, he doesn't wrestle, does he? No, anymore? he's given it up. Yeah. And Manu, like you said, won't have much success in WWE. But it's a little bit of payback tonight for Punk. Not a, not in a major way. Major. He's usually usually we look back twenty years or thirty years at rest, and they're either retired, or of course they don't wrestle anymore. But we're looking back at this from a ten-year period. Now, out of four wrestlers here, you know, let's do the mathematics. We do five then with Manu as well. Out of the five wrestlers, only one is still employed with the WWE is in Kofi Kingston. Yeah, yeah, fair play, right? So then the other four, Cody Rhodes is successful outside of wrestling, so he's still wrestling. So that's three guys left. And then the other three to do no longer wrestle anyway. So <laughs> it's only 10 years ago, and yet the WWE roster, you know. Yeah. And Punk tags himself in with Kofi. Well, they're nice teaming up now. Jawbreak and a Punk clothesline. Going for the cover on Cody Rhodes, but he kicks out. Oh. Now, Cody with a jawbreaker taking Punk out. Tag it in, Dibiase. Punk, nice drop toe hold now and go for the submission. Dibiase backs Punk up in the corner. I was never a fan of Dibiase. No, uh, like I say, he had the look, but I I think the how successful the dad is. For me, with a, a next generation wrestler, I think with Ted Dibiase, there's too much there. And you cut, it's going to be difficult trying to get out of that shadow. Whereas for Randy Orton, I know Bob Orton did a few things, but. He's more successful than his father, isn't he? Do you know, like... Well, you know, I've I've seen the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes wrestle. I've seen Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase wrestle. I've never seen Cowboy Bob Orton wrestle. No, exactly, yeah. So I think in a lot of cases, I think that works out. I think especially if you're like fucking Ric Flair's son, you've got no chance. You know, with Curtis Axel, <laughs> I think maybe you could do something a little... Just might as well die. Yeah, exactly. Curtis Axel do something a little bit different, I suppose, but... Well, then again, Charlotte Flair's done it because she's, I think, a woman and that works out. But Kofi and Punk had cleared the ring of DiBiase. Oh, an assisted leap over the top from Kingston to Punk. Takes down both members of Legacy. They go really well together. And they've got smiles on their faces. So we go to an advert, but we're back. Brack? We're back. We're Barack Obama. Mm, it's Cody and Punk. Both men are all in at the moment. Shooting a half, going for the cover on Punk, but Punk managing to kick out. Uh, and now it looks like Legacy have taken over in this match. Just slowing it down. In control of Punk. <laughs> uh, they've got Punk in their hands. 
Oh, but Punk's picked up Cody Rhodes looking for the GTS. Oh, but Rhodes with a backslide. Punk rolls through. Cool. Takes in Kofi. The top rope takes down Cody. And Cody showing a little bit of an experience there. Kofi gets the hot tag and he's on fire, baby. <laughs> no, only Cody Rhodes can be on fire, baby. <laughs> Here comes Kofi running in. Cody dumps him on the apron. Do you reckon someone said that at Dustin Rhodes' funeral? Oh, wow. Where he knocks Dibiossi off with a forearm, but Dibiossi pulls him off the apron. Oh, mm-hmm. but Cody throws Kofi into barricade. No, Cody throws in Kofi, goes for the cover, but Kofi kicking out. Uh. And now Dibiossi and Cody, lovely double team move on Kofi. Oh, Cody stopping Kofi from making the tag. Pulls. Dragging him back to Legacy's corner or Priceless corner. This would be a priceless victory for Dibiase and Cody, showing Orton that they belong to be part of a bigger legacy. And Kofi struggling to get to Punk. Punk's got to forget about his world title blues. Focus on the world tag team titles. Dibiase again cutting off Kofi, but Kofi managing to roll up Dibiase. Oh, gets him in a small package, but Dibiase managing to kick out and uh. delivers a clothesline. Uh-huh. Tags in Cody. Anyway, Kofi fighting away from Cody. But Cody slams down Kofi. Now he's taught him Punk. <coughs> That'll be quite a good match between them two. Mm. Well, Punk with the head scissors taking down Cody Rhodes. Can he get to make the tag? He does. Punk's in. Springboard's off the top. Takes down Ted DiBiase. Lovely swinging neck breaker there. And he's just running through DiBiase. Takes Cody off the apron. Spinning heel kick to the midsection. A couple more kicks combination. And a punching combination as well. Hit the big knee. Oh, looking for the big knee in the corner. Can he team up with the Bulldog? No. Alpha, Seeker, or whoever fucking head shrinker that is. Manu down. Punk takes him out with a kick. Kofi in with Cody. Oh, takes him out the hard way. Oh, Dibiase now going to look to put away CM Punk. Oh. Was he looking for crossroads? He might have been. No, Dib- that's Cody Rhodes, isn't it? Punk been holding on. Top ropes. Got Dibiase up. GTS. Bang. Hits the mark. One. Two, three, and no <laughs> tag team champions. CM Punk and Kofi Kingston. They've done it in another championship we've seen Punk win. So he's won the ECW, the world title, and our tag team title with Kofi Kingston here in Raw. Dan, what did you think of the match? I thought it was a really good match. These two guys work really well together. As as you could tell throughout it, I'm not a fan of Ted DiBiase. I think he's uh, boring. But, you know, the Punk-Kingston element, you saw Kingston getting beaten down for most of the match. Hot tag into Punk. Hot tag into Punk, who came <laughs> in and just <laughs> cleaned house. And, yeah, it was a good match. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it as well. I thought it was a nice little build to it. And a bit of retribution from Punk. He does get the win and becomes tag team champion. The dynamic duo of CM Punk and Kofi Kingston. That was a blast. And it was, to me, back to having fun. I learned real quick that uh, I'm not going to be able to make everybody happy. I'm probably going to piss a lot of people off. If I can stay true to myself and at least have fun while I'm doing it, then, you know, it's a win-win. Punk and Kingston have done it! They're the new world tag team champions! For me, being in the ring with him, I got really lucky when we won the championships. And now we're traveling together and I'm getting all types of knowledge from him. And watching him in the ring, I had the best seat in the house. CM Punk is the number one contender! The future.
future opponent, William Regal, in the Intercontinental title. The rivalry that I had with CM Punk was probably the best thing that I've done on WWE television as far as wrestling quality. I developed a relationship with him prior to me even signing with WWE, and he's one of the guys that believed in me from the start. And he said he wanted to work with me, and that's uh, a hell of a stamp of approval. And I had a lot of fun um, getting the crap beat out of me every single day. One thing we've learned about CM Punk over the years is that he's a survivor. Punk and Regal getting to work together was just great to watch. It was just nice and stiff. You know you're going to be in a fight when you're in there with the Intercontinental Champion. Him and Regal had these great, amazing matches. CM Punk, new Intercontinental Champion in his hometown of Chicago. It's another one of those, uh, I'm still fighting for real estate sort of thing. Uh, here I was looking around and everybody like, okay, hey, I, was the, I was the heavyweight champion, you know, I was that guy. And then, hey, I was the tag team champion and we're still not doing anything. And it's like they moved me on and now I was the IC champion. And they, it was just like, it was still a fight. It was a fight to do anything. So we're going to stop it there and we'll go to our next match, which is, should be <laughs> CM Punk versus William Regal for the Intercontinental Championship. January 19th, 2009, Raw 817. Yes, well, I'm, I'm quite a, a big admirer of William Regal. I think he works really well in the ring. He's, you know, obviously gone through a lot in his long, long career. And, you know, going against someone, CM Punk, it's kind of like old versus new, isn't it? And, and the interesting thing is, Regal says, this is the best thing that he done in wrestling in WWE. When you consider the amount of Regal has been featured over time, this is, for him, his best point in match against Punk. So, again, as we saw earlier with like a kind of Morrison-Punk match, what Punk thought of it, Regal saying like, they brought out the best in each other again. And Regal, you've got to have respect. So Punk's out, and it is a huge response. And here comes William Regal as Intercontinental Champion. Like we said, so much success, but not just in WWE, but for that for Regal, with WCW and, of course, in the, the the British way. I mean, where he first got his start in the 80s. And he's coming out here with Layla. Layla! But who can forget, Dan, two weeks ago on Raw, it was Punk and Regal, and Punk was looking for the GTS. But Regal, being the kind of evil bastard he is, grabs hold of the referee, gets disqualified. So then last Monday, Regal decided to wear a vest <laughs> and... Uh, Fortunately, Punk low blowed him. So it's a no DQ match for the IC title. So there will be a defi- definitive, definite. There will be a winner here tonight for the Intercontinental title. Well, we've seen CM Punk get the heavyweight championship, <laughs> the Money in the Bank championship, tag team championship. In the CM Punk special, will we see CM Punk win the IC title Who as knows? well? I tell you something though, with Superstar profiles and the number we've done. Punk, I think we've watched the most, where he's been most successful in, if you know what I mean. The other ones, we've watched a couple of matches when he lost, maybe. But yeah, Punk has won quite a lot here. Will it continue? I don't think we've seen him lose. We haven't yet, no. Oh, will we, though? He hasn't been against Randy Orton yet, though, has he? <laughs> we, we don't have a Randy Orton <laughs> match. Oh, that's a fucking <laughs> shame, isn't it? <laughs> right, let's start with this Intercontinental title. Um, Regal wants to start off quickly, but slowly, but Punk starts quick with a calf kick. Can't even get a cover like Regal back to his feet. And this is definitely going to be in. And Sam Punk hitting a Daniel Bryan. It kicks. And you can hear the impact and the discoloration already 
on the chest of Regal. I thought he was going to say on the lips of Regal. <laughs> the purple discoloration of him. But the NXT general manager cutting off CM Punk. Regal looking for a suplex, but Punk kneeing him in the face as he was getting lifted up. Throws him into the ring post. And of course, it's no disqualification as well, so anything goes and a kick to the back of Regal's head. They can stay out here for a while. Well, Punk throws it back in. <laughs> He's going to work on the arm. But you should be a bit worried because it is his hometown, CM Punk. So we know usually WWE, what they do in their hometowns. But the crowd are behind him. He works down the arm of Regal. So we're back from the break and this could be a hard-hitting match already. Punk has got Regal in the corner with a submission. Laders there trying to pull Punk off. <laughs> Easy, Tiger. But it's a no disqualification, so it counts. And we've seen Punk... In his independent days, he's not adverse to tombstoning a woman for a table no. or giving her a fucking thunderous powerbomb. Exactly. So fair in love and war, but Regal, he throws Punk off the apron, hits the, uh, hits it hard, and now he's got him against the ring post. And Punk's head's against the ring post. Regal kicks the other side of it. And now go and go for the cover, but Punk get the shoulder up. And now Regal's got Punk. And a tough submission there, almost like a master lock. Um, whatever else you call it. What the fuck do you call that? Master lock. They call it the master lock, fuck it. A punk manager to fight out, giving some stiff kicks, some punches, some slaps. He's just going crazy, spinning back fist. Well, he's hitting him with gay abandon, but Regal blocks it. Oh, <laughs> punk goes for the kick, covers Regal, but Regal just managing to kick out. <clears throat> punk can't believe we're going to try and take advantage. Hits Regal with a big knee. Looking for that signature bulldog out of the corner, but Regal fights it off. Oh, my God, and that beautiful suplex there by Regal. like an exploder. Yeah, turned him inside out. Well, don't forget Royal Rumble this Sunday. Yeah, who can forget? Sunday, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday. And Regal turns Punk over, goes for the cover. One, two. two. Oh, but Punk managing to kick out. Uh-huh. And now Regal with a big knees to see him. Punk backing him up in the corner. Well, he won't be pinned, but he's going to beat him up. Punk says Regal lays it in. Look at Punk landing on his head there, slow motion. Now, with a forearms of Regal, just so vicious, and a headbutt. And that backs Punk up. Regal saying, you can't do anything to the referee. Punk fighting off Regal, though. Both men in a very precarious position. Punk managing to kick Regal off. Now, Punk trying to get the support from his crowd. He screams... Goes for a diving cross body, but Regal dodges. Regal goes for the knee himself. Oh, Punk catches him. Guts him up for the GTS, but Regal with a big elbow. Oh, my God. Well, about 50 elbow shots to the jaw, but Punk still managing to get the GTS off. Covers him. Yeah. That is it. Your new Intercontinental Champion. And what a reaction there from the crowd. They're on their feet when he attempted the GTS. Like I said, Regal trying to fight. Hits it, and he is Intercontinental Champion. And Punk... Is a Grand Slam champion. Is that fair? No, it's not, is it? He's saying like that, though. Tag team, Intercontinental, world champion. He's a triple crown champion. Got it. Nailed it. CM <laughs> Punk, and he wins this match. Dan, what did you think of this action? I thought it was a good match. Again, it's a completely different element to CM Punk. We've seen him in a variety of matches, whether it's tag team, uh, a stipulation type match with a ladder involved. There wasn't too much of the anything goes element to it, but it was still a very good match between these two. 
And again, you know, it's showing that Punk can adapt to styles of his opponent as well. Yeah, I think it's a different style of kind of, if you talk about hardcore, more hard-hitting kind of bumps they took and uh, just trying to get, you know, getting away with it with sort of kicks on the outside and stuff like this. But they didn't no need for chairs. The crowd were invested in this anyway, weren't they? They wanted to see him punk to win. And he did. He hit the GTS and he becomes Intercontinental Champion and a great moment for Punk at this time. Oh, so afterwards, Punk said it didn't really know what to do with him and he entered WrestleMania 25, April 5th, 2009. The 25th anniversary of WrestleMania. And we kick things off for the Money in the Bank ladder match. I was as shocked as anybody else. Can Punk do it? Punk does it! So my first thought was, oh man, what a rib. This briefcase. You know, I gotta carry this thing around. I gotta travel with it. 365 days a year. I gotta carry this, this Halliburton. And it's plastered on the side of it. It says WrestleMania, you know? So, like, I can't hide anywhere. I can't hide in airports. I can't hide in restaurants. But I did carry my gear in it. So now I'm thinking, okay, this is another great opportunity. But surely I'm going to be the guy that cashes in and loses. You know, never in my wildest dreams did I guess that, you know, lightning would strike twice. But Extreme Rules, June 7th, 2009, Punk cashed in after the Jeff Hardy Edge ladder match. GTS to Jeff Hardy and wins the world title for a second time. The bonus leaves connected. Both legs are hooked. And CM Punk for the second consecutive year has cashed in his money in the bank contract and won a championship. I mean, about the same, if not a little bit less excited. Because, you know, we, they've, they've already proven their track record. So it was almost just like, okay, two-time champion here. Let's, you know, hooray. Try, trying, to, trying to get excited about it. Um, and I'll tell you why I was excited about it. Uh, earlier in the day, I had a meeting. Michael Hayes finds me, and he says, Vince, Vince and I need to talk to you. So I walk in, I sit down, and Vince looks at me, and he goes, I have a challenge for you. And I'm thinking, great, I love challenges. What do you got for me? He says, uh, uh, we're eventually going to uh, see if you can uh, run as a heel. And I, I, I have my reservations, but uh, Michael here thinks, thinks you might be able to do it. And now I'm insulted. Now I'm like, <laughs> I'm literally, I'm sitting there and I'm going, <laughs> wait. So he tells me this, and once again I go, what's the challenge? So I want to see if you can be a heel. I said, Vince, what's the challenge? Is, is he, is he, Michael, is he f***ing with me? What is he doing? He's, he's, you know, I want to see if you can do, I want to see if you can pull this off. I don't know, you know, I don't know if you can pull this off. And I was just like, okay, well, sit back in three months. I'll be the best heel in the company. Biggest bad guy you've ever seen. Don't worry. I think at first Vince looked at that and went, I don't know if he has that within him. And I saw it with it because I saw a man that was dying to come out and be the guy. And he had the perfect guy to do it against him, Jeff. I finally got something I could sink my teeth into. And that was the most exciting part for me. You see, now I know why you people love Jeff Hardy so much. It's because you are all just like him. The reality is... None of you have the strength to be straight edge. 
that was the first time somebody would hand me, oh, here we, we wrote your promo. We wrote your promo, Mr. Punk, and they would hand it to me. And it was, it was written from somebody else's perspective about how I view the world and everything like that. Nobody could ever know what's in my brain. And I realized it was up to me. Uh, I, I decided, you know, they've, they've put the title on me for a reason. They've, they've given me the ball. I need to start doing the stuff myself, you know. It's the only way to get the job done. So from that point on, um, anytime anybody would hand me something just to prove a point, I would rip it up right in front of them and just throw it in the garbage. Sometimes it's on the floor. And they'd be like, oh, here's you. And I'd be like, hey, thanks a lot. And, yeah, that's a little harsh, but, I, you know, I was, I was proving my point. You know, like I know they had, the, I understand that they had the job to do, but you know, come to me, find me. We can work on it together. Don't hand me what you think is, is in my brain because you'd be wrong 100% of the time. There were a couple times, uh, and I think Punk will tell you, he can be a real moody prick. And, uh, and that would come out and shine. And not, not just to the writing team, those guys that he knew he could tear, tear it up in front of, you know, whatever they were suggesting he say. Uh, also to me. And even people higher up, you know, he was very opinionated. He knew what he thought he should be saying and doing. It seemed like the more successful Punk got, the more he wanted to control what he was doing and really didn't want a lot of help from the creative team. The people who cheer for Jeff Hardy are just slaves to the vices associated with his living in the moment you know honestly a lot of the ideas i'm not saying they're all mine but a lot of the stuff was stuff that i was doing on the indies because i was doing the straight edge thing for almost a decade already jeff you're a dreamer man a guy like you could never beat me i'm straight edge a lot of it was rehashed from what i'd done previously but just on such a grander scale it was a lot more fun you gravitate towards jeff because it's the easy way out it's easier to be weak like Jeff because you sure can't be strong like me. He is a great, a great good guy, but just an amazing bad guy. And the first three or four years, he was a good guy in WWE, you know? He was a fan favorite. And I was just like, oh, just wait till he eventually. And like, it brought him that whole new life. And you can boo all you want. I know why you boo. You know why you boo. It's because I tell the truth. And the truth sometimes hurts, doesn't it? And uh, that's where he's the best. Jeff, look at yourself. You're a joke. He's a great guy. He's great to his friends, true to his friends. But there's that crabby side of punk that we all know, that you all see at the airport, uh, you know, trying to get an autograph. We're seeing the true colors of CM Punk. And that's real. And that comes out in those microphones. Jeff, I have to get rid of you to teach these people the difference between right and wrong. I have to get rid of you so they stop living in your moment and they wake up and they start living in my reality. So that is our next stop then. It is SummerSlam 2009 in the main event. It's Jeff Hardy defending his world title in a TLC match Versus CM Punk, August 23rd, 2009. Jeff Hardy's got the title. Mm-hmm. Jeff Hardy won it back at Night of Champions, oh. back in July. I remember that because I bought the paper to see Punk successfully defend, and he lost. <laughs> oh, 
Another thing, they haven't got no respect for what he's done before, so they've not seen this, so he can use it again. They'll be like, fucking hell, you're a genius, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So I've been doing this shit years. And I think Punk is a better heel than he is a face, you know? Most definitely. It works yeah. better for him. But he's still a fan favourite as a heel. Yeah, exactly. So he's it's got, got that People respect. hang on every word he says, especially the promos that CM Punk was giving. It was, you know, his proper time to shine as a heel. And he was just speaking, you know, some sort of truth bombs. But, you know, he he wasn't being harsh. No, as, no, as no. harsh as we had heard him in the independence. But, you know, he as we was discussing, he makes a brilliant heel. Yeah. And I think the fact of it is that some of it is Jeff Hardy's own undoing. And Punk is sending a message saying, look, I'm, I'm drug free. This will never happen as me as champion. So, so we'll talk about the promo in a minute. We'll just see CM Punk's reception. Very negative what we've seen before. So CM Punk's out here. What did you think of the build-up to this? I mean, we talked about the feud, but... <clears throat> well, this all started with the uh, impromptu cash-in after uh, Jeff Hardy had been beaten up by Edge. A GTS, he got the title. Uh, they gave him basically a bit of a free run to run with being a heel. And, you know, he's kind of made it his own. He was given scripts to read and he just basically tore them up threw them away and said, look, I'm going to do it my way. He'd done it his way and he's absolutely nailed it because he's getting the brilliant heel reception that you would expect for him to get portraying that character. Yeah, there ain't no cheers at the moment in time. The way he talks down to people, the way he's uh, treated Jeff Hardy. And Jeff's coming out in credit to Jeff here for playing that kind of babyface role as well and doing it right. You know, it does take two. Don't get me wrong here. And it, it might have been punk the main story, but Jeff was definitely a good uh, hero in this. And it's his type of match. Like I said, Punk's not been in the TLC up until this point. And the world title was on the line. Punk tonight could become three-time champ. And the first time winning it by not cashing it in. And would that mean more becoming champion by, you know, different means as opposed to money in the bank? Maybe it means that you are a better champion then. Well, last ta- the last two times that he's won it, he's hit one GTS... And that was it. The title was his. But this, he's he's certainly going to have to work a lot more harder to get it. And, yeah. you know, it's it's going to have to be a lot more than just one GTS to recapture the World Heavyweight Championship. Well, it's not stopped, so we're fine now. This match is going to go on unpeded. So it's CM Punk versus Jeff Hardy. And Punk is uh, still got the same look he had as a face. And he's got the yellow trunks on, yellow boots. I like this look from CM Punk. no shit Sherlock JR reminding us if a man is unable to climb the ladder then he can't win the match which involves climbing a ladder yeah it's one of those things you know it's uh, difficult in a ladder match and now Colo and Elwood are up to start what kind of extreme violence will we see in this match now Punk with a knees to the midsection of Jeff going to wear him down the corner I mean (coughs) SummerSlam 2009 was a bit of a weird card. We'll just run through it quickly. I don't think there's any Chris Benoit matches. Uh, we started off Rey Mysterio versus Dolph Ziggler for the Intercontinental title. Then Jack Bumswaggle versus MVP. Bumswaggle. We had Jarrah Show versus Crime Time for the <laughs> tag titles. Fucking hell. Kane versus The Great Carly with Ranjin Singh. D-Generation X versus Legacy. Christian versus William Regal for the ECW Championship. John Cena versus Randy Orton for the double. And then, of course, CM Punk versus Jeff Harley. And Jeff Harley's gone to the outside. CM Punk's found himself a chair. Hits Jeff over at 
Hits Jeff over the back of that two times. No, it's twice. Fuck you, Todd Grisham. Punk throws the ladder in. I, I really don't like Tom Grisham. Todd Grisham. Tom or Todd Grisham. He's generic. Now Punk sets up the ladder. He's going to get the world title. Pushes Punk off the ladder before he gets a chance to reach the title. Looking for a twist of fate, but Punk pushes him off. Hardy rebounds back with an elbow to the head. Runs the ropes. Oh, looking for a second and gets Punk in the corner and gives CM Punk the beatdown that Jeff received early on in the match. Yeah, so it's move for move at the moment. Jeff there with the cardiac arrest. And Jeff throwing Punk to the outside. He's looking to recapture his title. Well, he's looking to reclaim his title. But not a lot of punishment dished out so far. Punk's able to get up. Bounce off the ropes. Oh, kicks the ladder. Jeff nearly going flying. Second kick takes him off it, though. Oh, and on SmackDown, he lands on his feet this time. Looked like he may have twisted his ankle. And if you can't climb that ladder, you won't win this match. Really? Yeah, seriously, yeah. Nah, I mean, nah, nah. The nah. injured leg of Jeff. Surely not. Don't call me Shirley. And Punk now got Jeff up. GT going. Jeff's struggling to fight out, though. Sends Punk face first into the ladder. And now both men down. Well, Jeff getting a chair involved in the match. He sets it up. Punk's in the corner. Here comes Jeff running towards him. Oh, but Punk catches him. Drops oh, him back first onto no. the hard point of the chair. Ah. Well, Punk may not have been in a TLC match, but he certainly seems accustomed to the climate of it. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, oh, my God. We see maybe this is early years, like we say, the IWA, a kind of hardcore wrestling that we saw in bits and pieces, coming back to him now to his advantage. Like I say, Jeff Hardy might not know about that, but Punk's got it in his... Well, he's got it in his repertoire, James. He has. And this is what's good about Punk. Like you said, the different opponents, different things he can do. With Regal, more hard-hitting and stuff like this. High-flying with other certain wrestlers. And now with Jeff, it's showing his vicious side. And he brings the ladder down hard on Jeff. Punk with a calf kick, taking Jeff down. He's looking to send him out the ring. Does that successfully. Oh, and again, Jeff landed on that injured peg of his. Peg. And Punk with a little smirk. No, James, he doesn't do drugs or alcohol. <laughs> He's straight edge. And he suicide dived, though. He tempted suicide with that dive on Jeff Hardy. But it was successful, and he did cash in. And now Jeff's down. Punk might have hurt his elbow. He's already got strapping on it. Crowd not as into it as they've been into other matches that we've seen Punk involved in. It might be a case this is the main event. We just have had Cena and Randy Orton. So maybe that's a match someone's looking forward to. But Punk's got the chair around Jeff. He's going to set him up. Oh, but Jeff managing to get out of it and escape. But that's not going to hinder Punk. Jeff slowly gets to his feet. Here comes Punk with the chair. Oh, but Jeff ducks out the way. Punk hits the ring post with the chair. That's got to send a ringing up his wrists. Well, that is not good vibrations. But Punk's still on top of Jeff. Dildo. And now <laughs> Jeff sending Punk into the stairs. No, no Punk. Jumps up and lands on top of the stairs. That gave Jeff enough time to grab a chair and just swap Punk away like he was a fly. Well, on the outside, Jeff has set up the chair. Punk's next to the barricade. Jeff's not going to try. Oh! Poetry in motion. My God, takes out CM Punk. <coughs> but Jeff's a bit for worse wear, but he will risk his body to retain that world title. Pounding at him, going up the stairs now. 
He's going to go even further, all the way to the top. Jeff's going to go for the swap. No, he's going to go for the splash. Oh, but Punk managing to get out of the way at literally the last second and escapes going through that table. Now Jeff's a quivering wreck on the floor. Well, he crashed and burned there. Broke himself in two. Punk, thank Charles. And now Punk carrying the ladder like Jesus carrying the cross. They're sliding that big metal one into the ring. Well, I'm not, I think that's the biggest one we've seen in this match so far. As Punk slowly gets up. Just wait until we see Alex Wright wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> see, Clyde, he'll, he'll get Lasso and hook the title. <laughs> Start climbing. <laughs> well, CM Punk wants to hurry up because Jeff is staring at ringside. And Punk's struggling. Maybe he don't know how to manoeuvre the ladder. The referee's moving the table so Jeff can at least breathe now. How is Hardy moving? Oh, but Hardy's stopping Punk. Oh, and now Hardy's climbing over Punk, deliberately standing on his hand. He's got his fingertips on the title. Oh, but Punk's got Jeff up in an electric chair. This ain't going to end well. No, he's got him up for a GTS. <laughs> oh, my God. He's going to try and GTS him off the top. No! Hardy with a backslide and ends up powerbombing Punk. All the way down there. <laughs> I think that's going to give uh, Jeff some valuable seconds to recover. Well, Jeff looks out of it at the moment, but... That was probably the joint he smoked before coming down to the ring. <laughs> yeah, to be fair. Punk, I think, is just a little bit knocked out. But I think he hit the back of his head. Hardy rearranging the furniture up and into good positions. Go up and grab that shot. Well, Punk hasn't moved since he got hit with that by Jeff. And finally, you can see he's trying to get his bearings. And now Jeff's going to go reach for the world title. Fingertips on it. <laughs> Fucking hell. Punk pushing the ladder. Hardy going, well, very awkward, very Owen Hart-like into the turnbuckle. <laughs> well, he got caught up there. I think Punk's going to check on him before he does anything else. And his left leg maybe tried to crotch himself, and he ended up folding himself in half. He's on the apron now, and Punk going to get him back in. Well, he's going to bring him back into the ring the hard way. There's a ladder set up. Punk wants to suplex him. Now it's a suplex. Superplex off the top. Oh, shit. You can see Punk tried to avoid it. I think Jeff had the cleaner landing because I think Punk landed half and half. Mm. But to the point, Punk is up first. <laughs> Fuck knows how. It just shows the heart and determination of each man fighting for the world title. They believe... They are right in what they say and what they believe in. Jeff blocking the suplex. Hits a twist of fate on Punk. Normally he would have just rolled into a cup. That's not how you win this match. No, you have to climb a ladder to win. And if you can't climb the ladder, you can't win. <laughs> no, really? True story. And now Jeff going all the way to the top. He's taking his time, but Je uh, Punk may be out. Swans on bomb, but Punk got knees out. Knees up, Mother Bran. But Jeff somehow back to his feet and in the corner. Punk comes running in with the knee, looking for his patented bulldog. Oh, but Jeff catches him. Oh! Throws him over the top rope, <laughs> straight through the table that Punk set up earlier. <laughs> bet he's regretting that. Well, I bet he's actually glad because he had a softer landing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, because the table's lighter than those mats, but he hit those as well. How thin are those mats, though? 
Those mats, James, they are mere millimetres thick. They're just wafer thin mat over concrete. So you hit the table and those mats, and he's out at the moment. But Jeff still not. But they're able to capitalise because he's out. Oh my God, Jeff's setting up that big ladder. And he's climbing, but Punk's already up, springboarding in. Takes Jeff off the ladder. And now Punk throwing Jeff outside. And Punk's got the steel chair around Jeff Hardy. Well, he done it on Raw or SmackDown. SmackDown. Well, he done it on SmackDown. Oh! But Jeff again managing to fight out. And now Punk runs in. Oh, knees first into the steel steps. Jeff Dodge, and he's found this new, uh, maybe a second wind here. Oh, as he just swats away <laughs> at the back of Punk with a chair. Oh, four or five times, and now he's got the ladder. Just moving it out of the way. No, Jeff wants the announce table. Well, he hits the Punk with it, and now he's got the monitors. Well, he's rearranging some furniture on the table. Picking up a monitor. Oh! Bashing Punk's skull in with one of them. And again, back to the chair. And now suddenly Punk gets an ounce table, throws him on the other one. And I've not seen Jeff Hardy like this. He's kind of snapped. Well, he's turned into oh. a demonic chair shot to the head. Jesus. Well, Punk is out. Jeff could now go and get the title belt in the ring, but he doesn't want that. Oh, fuck. And I thought that was a bit... This one's even bigger. Well, this must be at least, what, 20 foot high? It's got to be, James, yeah, at least 20, 30 foot high. My no, sorry, at least 30, 35 foot high. It's, uh, it must be touching 50. Yeah, very close to 60 feet. I have never seen anything that long in my life. And yeah, that, have a look at this. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, that must be at least 60. Uh, Jeff's going to climb up. It's all or nothing. He can go and get his heart belt now, but he wants to hurt Punk. He's not Punk out with a chair. The referee's saying, come on now, we're not holding this ladder just to support you here. Come on, look, we, we, we <laughs> implore you to get down from there, Jeff. <clears throat> not like this, Jeff. That's higher than hell in a cell, uh, surely. Don't call me Shirley. It's the highest we've ever seen anybody be high. And Jeff Hardy's so high right now. Top of the ladder to you. Gonna take out Punk! Oh! <laughs> Hits its mark. And I think Punk is uh, buggered. Yes, he's done. Jeff sacrificed himself to take out CM Punk. He doesn't normally hit loads from that height. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, that looks like Jeff's getting the net brace on. They've got the stretchers out here. Punk slowly gets to his feet. But Jeff needs assistance. <coughs> Especially Nana Hardy. Oh, Jeff is going to be out for a very long time. But I don't think the world title matters at this moment. It's all about the health and safety. <coughs> the health, health and safety. The health of Jeff Hardy. The health and well-being. Health and well-being of Jeff Hardy. And CM Punk. And Punk's up. And that ladder's in the ring. And oh, my God. No, surely he's not getting back in the ring. Don't call me Shirley, but that must be the toughest son of a bitch that I've seen in WWE. Just after the fall from 60 foot, he's going to try and get back up again. He might be fighting there with a broken neck. This is unfreaking believable. His left side is not working, yet Jeff has got the heart, the determination, the grapefruits, 
to get back in this ring. Well, he stumbled back into the ring. He fell through the second and top rope. And Punk cannot believe it. He's looking at World Time. Never going to win this. Here he goes, one leg and all. And Jeff just pulling himself up that ladder. Managing to fight Punk away from the title. Oh, Jeff's got it. No, Punk stops him. Punk's got it. No. no Jeff stops him. Punk's got it. No. Jeff's got it. Jeff stop, Punk stops him. Jeff, Punk, Punk, Jeff, Jeff, Punk, Punk, Jeff, 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 Punk. No, Jeff's got it, but Punk kicks him. Well, big right hand from Punk knocks Jeff off the top of the ladder. And this is Punk's title to lose. And he's there. Will he become a three-time champ? Yes, he will. CM Punk wins. The first time he's won a world title without a cash-in. What a war that was. And he certainly went through the mill, yeah. It was a lot more hard work than uh, the last time he beat Jeff for the title, which was just one GTS after he'd been beaten up by Edge. This was an absolute battle. Yeah, and I think this gets forgotten about over time just because the amount of ladder matches and TLC matches that we had. I think this was a great addition to it, you know. I think it's really fun. A couple of really big bumps that each man took, you know, all on the line. And I think all in all, it's fantastic. And Punk finally beats Jeff Hardy for the world title. And look at Jeff Hardy here. See, even after a great match, he's still portraying the great hill. Yeah. Oh. Punk stand over Jeff and the lights went a little bit weird then. He's world heavyweight champion here at SummerSlam. <gasps> That's what he was expecting. What? <clears throat> the lights go out. The bells toll. That can only mean one thing. We've just seen a hellacious one. Are we going to see Untaker anywhere? What? And Punk saying, no, he's not going to come out. He beat Jeff Hardy. We look at Jeff... What? Jeff Hardy transformed into The Undertaker. Oh, my God. The Undertaker's got Punk. Picks him up. Choke slams him down. And the dead man... Oh, my God. Punk finishes one feud. And another one starts with The Undertaker. The demon of Death Valley has made his presence felt. Shocking, shocking there, but exciting for CM Punk's title reign. Yes, very exciting. And it's it's going to be what you could argue as his most high-profile title match as well. Yeah, I mean, what could possibly go wrong after that? Look in my eyes! Stop it. So we're going to leave it there for the wrestling. We'll be back. That's the end of part one. We're back for part two and maybe part three. three. Don't, don't know when, don't know where, but it will show up somewhere. So we'll leave it here. What we're going to talk about now, we'll leave the wrestling alone. It's CM Punk um, leaves the arena and we'll end it there for that. And we'll talk about... So let's, first off, that'll be out for there. We'll pick this up again on the second episode. And then if we still love CM Punk and still enjoy it, we get good reception. We'll bring out a third one with all the other bonus matches on it as well. But the second podcast, we'll talk about the UFC fight. But right now, let's talk about the court case that ended up this week. And we'll get all the details on that before we go. So, let's get to it then. So, it is CM Punk Colt Cabana versus Dr. Chris Ammon. And this is trial day four. Morning notes. After pre-trial discussion between counsel about suits. Do you remember when suspenders were in? No, the plaintiff's side rested. Suspenders. Yep. This led to a defence motoring for a direct verdict on the grounds that the plaintiff 
has yet to prove any defaming statements. Judge denies the motion. The trial resumed at 9.45 a.m. Well, it's the testimony of Scott Colton, or as we know him, Colt Cabana. And the defence tries to get Cabana to talk about his childhood and early days of wrestling, but a series of objections derails this line of questioning. Colt talks about wrestling being a different niche world. Colt says he wrestles, does YouTube, produce podcasts, sew costumes and comedian. Oh, kind of. Colt says he met Punk at Still City Domain Wrestling School in 1999 and they became fast friends. Until now. <laughs> Two of the ones who really loved wrestling the most. Colt confirms that the friendship continued after wrestling school. Then Punk gives a history of the ways he... Uh, then Punk? Colt? Then Colt gives a history of the ways he and Punk have stayed in contact via text, email, applications, etc. How often do you see each other? All the time. Colt describes Punk as passionate before counsel objects to the line of questioning. Colt confirmed he was introduced to WWE through Dr. Tom Pritchard and would try and get booked at an extra any time there within 8 to 10 hours driving. Signed his contract in 2007 while plaintiff's lawyers start to object the relevance of the statements. Sidebar. Colt is left on a stand. Punk goes into side room, leading to a tense moment as Armin and Colt try not to make eye contact. Colt confirms employment with WWE from April 2007 to February 2009. Colt confirms Art of Wrestling started in 2010. Colt describes Art of Wrestling having an intro, a middle and a conclusion. Colt, that's a good idea. Colt says he gives his friends a thing that fans don't hear. He describes learning to podcast as a trial and error process. When asked how he books his podcast, he says, I asked him if he'd like to be on my podcast. <laughs> then I bring my recorder, plug it in, give my friends a microphone, hit record, and then hit stop when it's done. Colt confirms that Punk was the one to bring up the idea of Punk being on Art of Wrestling. Cabana says he was well aware of Punk's situation. Situation. The wrestling community wanted to hear what he had to say. At the time, we were living four blocks from... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I joined Dabley. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that funny. At the time, they were living four blocks from each other. Colt described riding his bike to Punk's, entering through the back entrance and recording the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Recording the podcast on Punk's couch. AJ Mendez Brooks might have been present, but Colt cannot confirm nor deny that she may or may not have been there. I was going to say, when you come in to do the podcast, you always enter from my back entrance, don't you? Uh, AJ. Phil, <laughs> Phil and I talked every day. I was living the situation. Situation as he was living it. Colt believes he met Dr. Ammon prior to podcast. Colt doesn't remember Dr. Aman's name coming up during recording and didn't call Dr. Aman afterwards. Colt says Punk showed him the lump. Hey, you want to see this thing? This is met with an objection. Colt confirms he heard about the lump and saw it before the 2014... Dan, do you want to see my lump before we move on? Oh, my word. Oh, my. At this point, an entire class of 8th graders entered the courtroom. Colt says he saw Punk shirtless in his house in 2013, and Punk was Punk was shirtless and wearing the camo shorts he always wears. Defence <laughs> produces Punk's camo shorts from seemingly under the desk as Exhibit 117. Because the shorts has Punk's. Colt on the lump. It was disgusting. <laughs> Is mine disgusting? Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Well, he says the lump was on the left side of Punk's waistline and that it was raised, discoloured, gross. Colt talked to Punk every day that I was home. Colt saw the lump at least more than once. It was my understanding that he was constantly asking WWE... Objection! 
Colt confirms he didn't see the Royal Rumble until after the podcast, had no way of knowing a man was ringside. Colt does not believe Punk, but... The only part where Colt thinks Paul... The only part where Colt thinks Punk brought up Armand had to do with an unrelated story about Punk's elbow. Well, Colt believes that they, in They Packed Me to Death, was General WWE Medical Staff. General, General WWE Medical, medical Staff. Staff. Colt says the name for every comment in podcast. Cancel is stop. Oh, hang on. Cancel is stop from asking about getting emails from listeners. I knew it was going to be a big episode. And he confirms he never received an email from a man. Colt recalls receiving the cease and desist, but objections are plenty derail the line of questioning. Colt restates that his pre-podcast knowledge of a man was limited, if at all. Plaintiff's counsel take over. Colt was aware that a man had beefs, plaintiff counsel's words, regardless of not getting emailed. Colt did not know that the doc from the podcast quotes was Armin, or even if they were talking about an actual doctor. Colt confirmed seeing the lamp because Punk had his shirt off. Colt recalls seeing the lump a second time, but couldn't recall in the original deposition. Cabana, I think there's a long answer. Cancel, you answered in about six words. Colt can't recall how many times he saw the lump. And he can't recall seeing the lump change size. And he confirms being in Japan in fall 2013, but gets confused on dates. Colt confirms Punk was in Europe. 20, uh, 11th of the 7th, no, 17th of November 2013. Colt can't confirm if Punk told him he was on antibiotics. I don't want to say anything wrong. When pressed, Colt can't remember any of Punk's comments about antibiotics. Colt confirms he has never been treated by a man. Council plays podcast clip in which Cabana says he wants the story to be heard as many ears as possible. I thought it was going, it was a wild story. Colt Tries to get what council tries to get Cabana to find what is meant by many years as possible, but Cabana kept and kept keeps the definition that whoever was listening. Well, Colt expected people to talk about the story. I just wanted people to listen. Colt's lawyer takes over. Colt confirms he saw the lamp a variety of times. Colt confirms he didn't believe Armin was the doctor. They take a break. Before court resumes, the attorney gets in a fight over how much footage from the 2014 Royal Rumble could be shown. Armin is on screen, but his lawyers do not want footage of Kane Chokeslam and Punk through the announce table shown to the jury. Judge, I don't know who Kane is. Counsel, the big man without a shirt. Judge calls counsel into the hallway where indistinct shouting is heard. Court resumes. Testimony of Phil Brooks, CM Punk. Punk identifies himself as a UFC fighter and freelance comic writer for Marvel Comics. Punk says he didn't listen to the podcast until just before the trial. I sure do swear a lot. Punk says he's a different person. I sure was bitter. Punk almost starts crying saying hearing who he was back then brings up memories of things he doesn't care about anymore. Punk confirms that he started wrestling age of 15 as the Punk. Punk talks about hitting a wrestling with a roll of quarters. And saying, all I'm saying is I've got a lot of sense. Possibly stating that this is his first promo. Punk confirms that being a member of a tag team, the Chick Magnets, is where his CM comes from. Thus entering into the public record that CM stands for Chick Magnet. Punk discusses growing up in Lockport, Illinois, and his early friendship with Cabana. Punk confirms signing with WWE in 2005. He describes his character as punk rock kid when you see what you get straight edge. Punk describes the straight edge lifestyle. Punk confirms he's still a straight edge. Punk describes tactics in playing a straight edge face versus playing a straight edge heel. I like punk rock. Punk describes DIY, the movement, not the tag team. Everyone has guilty songs on their iPod. Enjoy it. Genesis of podcast, I was left WWE 
<coughs> genesis of podcast was I'd left WWE up until that point I'd been silent the other side not so much I just wanted to set the record straight for my fans Punk explains what a shoot interview Punk explains what a shoot interview as well as the overall concept of shooting in pro wrestling Punk says goal of podcast was to paint a picture it's my story. I'm just telling my story. Punk confirms Cabana's testimony. Punk cannot confirm AJ's presence during podcast recording. Punk says there was no formality, no difference between normal conversation. Punk hated holding the microphone. Punk had not seen his W medical report and was not copied on it. Punk confirms feeling symptoms listed in medical report. I felt sick overall. Headaches, lack of sleep, no appetite, vomiting after exaggeration, narrowed vision, dizziness, neck couldn't support head. Punk. Defines taking bumps and running the ropes. Punk confers vomiting after every match. My head was a fishbowl. Punk discuss, discusses having crying spells. I'd be in catering. One sec, fine. Next, welling up. I'm sure it wasn't fun to be around. Coughing started in September of 2014, subsided, and then came back in November. Punk describes rib pain, but can't describe the initial injury. Defence reads podcast statements about concussion before Europe 2013. Punk talks about getting his bell rung by Luke Harper. Punk confirms no one but Dr. Sampson treated him on European tour. Yeah, or talked about Punk's concussion. Punk confirms sip symptoms worsening in Europe. And Punk offers him a Z-pack. Then they break for lunch. All right, so the continued testimony of CM Punk. Well, Punk cannot confirm the definition of Z-pack. It's antibiotics. Punk says the rest of his antibiotics were received in a small envelope. He'll text... He text doc mm, he'll he text doctors Aman or Samson or ask them in for antibiotics. He notes he could ask them for anywhere he can <coughs> he notes he could ask for them anywhere in the building whenever he wanted them. Punk confirms getting Z packs from Dr. Samson. Antibiotic line of questioning is derailed by objection after objection from a man's attorney. Judge sustains as Punk's attorney is not doing a great job of laying foundation for her line of questioning. Punk confirms getting a little envelope of antibiotics on 2013 European tour. He confirms he was never given paperwork, electronic or otherwise, for antibiotics. Punk confirms symptoms wrestled and was aside when he rested. His attorney tries to ask about the Z-Pack stories from the podcast, but can't ask without leading and is stopped by a man's attorney repeatedly until line of questioning is abandoned. Punk confirms being at the 2014 Royal Rumble. He describes the Royal Rumble match rules. Punk describes the pre-match meeting where wrestlers attend for the Royal Rumble. While the 8th graders from the morning session did not return, a few wondered in for Punk's testimony. Punk, about the Rumble being scripted, was saying what happens in the ring. Writers write storylines. Wrestlers put their matches together. Punk describes the process of wrestlers deciding eliminations. Wrestlers are given a list of entry numbers and eliminations and are supposed to build from there. He can't recall how many wrestlers he interacted with that day. Punk was supposed to be one of the last four in the ring. He describes a clothesline, both move and the laundry equipment. Is there contact or is there simulated contact? Oh no, there's contact. He describes what makes up a wrestling ring. Footage of Cove Kingston clotheslining Punk for the 2014 Royal Rumble shown. Punk confirms clothesline was planned. Punk praises Kofi's athleticism. He confirms the clothesline gave him concussion. Punk can't confirm how long he'd been in the rumble. He explains a flat back bump. Punk says there's no ill will or blame for Kofi for the concussion. We probably crowded each other. He describes the feeling of being concussed. Punk confirms he had no notes for Cabana's podcast. 
Punk told a camera guy whom Punk only knows as Johnny Photo to get Dr. Roman. Punk stands by his version of the conversation he relayed in the podcast. Punk confirms feeling helpless when a man responded to his concussion with what do you want me to do? Punk confirms asking to asking to compose himself mid-match during the 2014 Royal Rumble. Punk has started crying. Punk describes his judgment in 2014 as poor. We get a sidebar. A 10 to 15 minute break is called. Judge tells Punk to compose himself. Well, Punk agrees that he disagreed with the instructions during the Royal Rumble. He says he only had one conversation with a man during the Rumble. Punk confirms viewing the entire Royal Rumble pay-per-view at a later date. He cannot recall his conversation with a man happening on screen. Video footage of our man is shown from later in the match. Council states it's the only time Alan's face is visible on TV. Punk confirms not seeing a man's face on TV in his Rumble viewing. Punk recalls a lump first appearing in full 2013. He confirms travelling by bus from city to city while working for WWE. Punk confirms providing his own bus it cut down on wear and tear. He confirms changing and showering on the bus. He confirms AJ, Kofi Kingston and the bus drivers the main group that travelled on the bus, but there would be a rotating crew of people. He describes the process of dropping off wrestlers at the arena, after which Punk would stay on the bus until it was time for him to be at the arena. Punk confirms changing on the bus. And he confirms changing alone. Well, Punk is handed a target bag by his attorney. Punk defines wrestling gear. Punk confirms that all his gear came from the W seamstress, Julie. Punk is asked to describe his speedo, trunks, kick pads, etc. Punk takes Exhibit 119, his speedo, out of the target bag. Punk positively identifies a speedo as his speedo. Punk mentions that is the only speedo he ever wore in WWE and calls the fact a little piece of WWE triv- trivia. Well, there you go. Punk takes Exhibit 120, a pair of black and white... white <coughs> Punk takes Exhibit 120, a pair of black and white wrestling trunks, out of the bag and positively identifies them as his trunks from the 2014 Royal Rumble. Punk confirms he washing. Punk pulls out a pair of shorts he would wear backstage so as not to appear bottomless, and he positively identifies them. Punk saying wearing a Gracie hoodie in his entrance was not typical, but it was what he had on the bus at the time. Punk describes the fit of his gear. Trunks are tighter than Speedo. Punk shows on his person where the lump was, points to his belt line. Punk claims to still have a scar where the lump was. Punk doesn't know why he said back and not butt. Punk points out on his Royal Rumble trunks the lump would have been above or around the star on the left side of his waist. Punk defines a hydrochelator used to warm hot packs. If no one was in the trainer's room, I'd do it myself. I had a bad everything, Punk, on his injuries. Punk points out the area on his lower back where he'd use hot packs. Punk said no one ever applied a heat pack near the lump. He says he never received a heat pack inside his shorts. Punk says Larry Heck would never seen the lump. Heck was never on the bus or in the shower. Punk says he was never undressed around Mark Coronado, John Cone, Tim Gang or Larry Heck. Punk described the colour of the lump as purple, reddish, blue. Punk confirms talking, taking no notes about the lump. And he confirms taking no photos of his butt. He's unsure when the lump started getting tough. He describes the lump as super, super sore, even when getting dressed. And it was radiating heat. A lot of things hurt. I'm still throwing myself on the ground. He confirms Cabana's account of seeing the lump. If anyone's going to see my butt, that isn't my wife, it's Scott. Punk describes the camo shorts entered into evidence as standard issue, straight edge kid pants. Punk on wearing shorts in winter. Shorts and hoodie, that's what I wear. Punk says massage therapist from Spa Soak on Milwaukee Avenue in Chicago would have seen the lump. It was uh, hard. It was hard to miss if I was naked. Punk uh, message therapist was told and asked about the lump twice. Punk confirms AJ was employed by the WWE. 
And now the text messages by AJ Punk regarding the lump. The fucking lump hurts. Punk describes this text as telling AJ how my day went, which got a chuckle from the court. I'm going to stab it. Punk joking in a text about the lump. Later text message. I'm going to poke this growth on my butt. It's time. AJ, let me bring you a doctor. No, baby, I don't like him. The thing on my butt back fucking hurts. I hate Doc Armin for not helping me. When AJ texts Punk saying she's on her way to Orlando, Punk responds, I have a giant growth on my upper left butt. This thing, uh, I think it's a person. And then a date, uh, Punk on 13th of February 2014, date of visit with physician assistant Patrick Duffy. Your dreamy doc says it's a staff infection. Punk believed Duffy was a doctor because AJ believed Duffy was a doctor. Fucking hell, there's a lot of shit there. Hang on a minute. Um, oh, fuck it, we'll just cut all that out. We'll go, just go to in one of the most high profile wrestlers. So, yes, in one of the most high profile, there was a lot of notes from day four, and of course, day five continued it on. But we're rapidly running out of time. And in one of the most high profile wrestlers, fuck, in one of the most high profile wrestling stories in recent years, a Chicago judge was found in favour of former W superstar CM Punk and Colt Cabana against WWE physician Dr. Chris Ammon. The jury took just over two hours to reach their verdict, which means neither Punk, Phil Brooks, or Cabana, Scott Colton, will have to pay any damages and will not face any charges for defamation, false light defamation, and distribution. Ammon had been seeking 3.98... Fucking hell. Nearly $4 million in damages for each stream of the podcast, in addition to punitive damages for Punk and Cabana's comments on the November 2014 episode of Art of Wrestling. CM Punk claimed he was repeatedly misdiagnosed with injuries during his time in WWE and had a lump on his back with repeatedly ignored, which turned out to be a highly dangerous staff infection. The jury finds in favour of CM Punk and Colt Cabana on all counts, filed by Dr. Chris Amann. Neither will have to pay anything. As the court ruling was made, CM Punk and his wife, AJ Brooks, burst into tears of joy, and as braces, Cabana looked relieved, whilst Dr. Amman looked off blankly, according to reports inside the courtroom. There were smiles mostly all around as jurors shook hands with Cabana and Punk post-decision. Colt Cabana is currently the play-by-play announcer for Ring of Honor and an independent professional wrestler, and Punk has an MMA fight this upcoming weekend at UFC 225 again. Well, Cabana's lawyer said to Punk, you got a fight Saturday, right? Are you ready for that? Punk says, oh, yeah. So the trial between Dr. Chris Amman and CM Punk is finally closed. And as Punk and Cabana dust themselves off to carry on, there could always be a chance this lawsuit might have opened up a couple of different ways to carry on with more legal action down the line. Of course, CM Punk is likely tired of sitting in courtrooms, and that would be totally understandable as well. But as we look back at this case, it's pretty clear nothing was really mended in regards of WWE's relationship with Second City Saviour. If anything, it's brought up old grievances once again. It costs time. It costs him money, you know. Three years legal fees is something that this, I can't imagine. I just wonder, you know, with Cabana, I mean, Punk probably against legal fees probably added up a good deal of money. I don't estimate, but I've been in legal situations too. <laughs> Situation. And it adds up pretty quickly, and there's a lot of money, and it's annoyance and things like that, said Dave Meltzer. Not only did it hurt CM Punk, but Colt Cabana might have been damaged even more, because even though he does well for himself, his name has never brought in the kind of money CM Punk's ever did. Well, now Punk must remain focused for his fight against Mike Johnson at UFC 225 to make sure his MMA career isn't a victim of this case as well. He doesn't have a lot of time to train and needs to needed to relocate to the crucial final touches in his regiment to Chicago from Milwaukee, which is never a good thing when you're trying to build towards a big fight. 
He was cutting weight during the final days of the trial training and staying in shape before and after the trial every day, but it wasn't the same. He knows the stakes he's in, and this is a big, big deal to him, obviously. Meltzer continued, He's a dedicated, hard-working guy. I mean, the one thing all those guys in the Rufus campus say about him is that he had no ego. He didn't come across like a star. He learned from the ground up, and he worked really, really hard. All the clips you'll see of him, he's worked really hard. He's tried. He's out of his league in this sport, obviously, but they put him in a situation... Situation. Where maybe he wins, maybe he doesn't. Where it was noted that if CM Punk wins his two, UFC 225 fight, it might not matter because UFC possibly can't find someone else who isn't a fighter to face him. After all, Punk's opponent, Mike Johnson Jackson, is a journalist. It was also said if Punk loses that he might not get another UFC fight, but he's still getting MMA bookings because Bellator and other smaller promotions most likely want to bring him in. But if Punk loses his fight on Saturday in Chicago, it might open the door for CM Punk to blame the trial. If he loses the fight, especially if it's a close fight, I mean, I think that's in his mind. If he loses a fight that's somewhere competitive, he might be thinking that you know the stress at the end may have made a difference. Well, hopefully CM Punk will win his fight, giving him two amazing victories in the same week. But he has stated that he's no interest in return to professional wrestling, and he even said he's not all in after the trial, and he said it's all said and done. Well, Punk versus WWE. Well, although fans would love to see the best in the world return to WWE, that certainly, to be, certainly appears to be a long way off. The wider impacts on WWE? Well, however, the results of the trial could have an instant repercussions in the company, as Dave Meltzer explains. Speaking on a recent edition of Wrestling Observer Radio, Meltzer explained the impact verdict may have on WWE talent when it comes to medical evaluation. Well, I'll be... I will be willing to bet that there will be a memo that comes through to the doctors very quickly that this will never happen again and I think it's going to have to be written down, he said. I think some of the talent might be unhappy because they're going to have to go through more channels so it won't be easy. I sense that because WWE is so conscious right now about its public image about anything. Of course, there's an argument to suggest that everything Meltzer expects to happen from now on should have been happening from day one. However, if it's if that's not what current W stars used to, maybe frustrating for a while. But long while a system like that could be better for everyone. Uh, so Punk does win the trial, and that is it for now. And we'll be back two two. Uh, but until then, we hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you think of the CM Punk podcast, and. Um, I think it's been good, and there's still a lot more to come. But if you want to tell us what you think, you can contact us on Twitter, at WWE Network Review, or... At Vince McDan, WWE. I'm at J underscore Rollins. We're on across the Google platforms, WWE Network Review on Google+. Send us an email at WNRpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook. Yes, Facebook. Come and find our page and give us a like with a WWE Network Review podcast. Or you can come and find me and add me as a friend. I am Vince McDan. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, WWE Network Review podcast there. Clips going up. Podcasts go at the same time. There are other places like SoundCloud. On your phone. Next weekend, it's NXT Chicago 2 live on Spreaker Radio. We will be with you. We'll be live at 11 p.m. on Saturday night. And of course, Stitcher Radio and iTunes. We can download, subscribe, rate, and review there. But that is it. I have been Jay's Rollins. Thanks for listening, buddy. And there's no shit. Hang on. <laughs> so that is it. Thanks for listening, buddy. No. So that is it. I have been Jay's Rollins. And as always, I was joined by. Damn right. There you go. Thanks for listening, buddy. And bye. Bye. 